0: It's the TetraCast, uh, September 12th. It's the middle of a, of a kind of an unremarkable month, but we have a, cool, a couple of cool things to talk about that kind of surprised us uh, this week, both at the start of the week and just recently. Uh, my name is Brian Vitali, and I'm joined by George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitali. Hello, guys. We've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Cullen Black. I'm back. Our resident Dragon Quest expert. You beat me to it. I was about to say, are you ready for annoyance? Here. <laughs> we have both Xbox and PlayStation news this week. We've got a couple things from the Ubisoft announcement and a couple other like reviews that we want to shout out that went up within the last seven days. So a, a smattering of topics for this cast. But as always, we're going to start with what we've been playing, which some of it will tether into those things, and some of it will just be kind of what our inclination was of playing this week. So I don't know who wants to go first. As always, I will just let you guys have the floor and fight for it.
1: Well, I should probably go first because I've played a f- several different games uh, and had several different reviews go up on the website this week. So uh, last week, we did our casual mode quick look type video for Star Renegades. And if you haven't heard of it, Star Renegades is an indie roguelike pixel art turn based RPG that released on PC this that's last a lot week. of qualifiers. Yeah, pixel art, indie, roguelike. It is published by Raw Fury and developed by Massive Damage. Massive Damage, they put out one game previously, Halcyon 6, which is like a strategy game, I gather. But uh, this game sort of caught my eye initially in one of the uh, summer streams. I think it was Guerrilla Collective. Because it has a really cool art style. You know, it's hard to describe art styles in words sometimes, but it's like a pixel art style, but it's not retro necessarily it's more just like here's what you can do in a modern game with pixel art like graphics and it's really cool looking it's got this sort of purplish bluish like color palette to it in a lot of places the comparison uh,
0: you made during the video was octopath not that it has the same art style but kind of the same like formula of using a retro style with some modern uh techniques and modern technology behind it
1: yeah, I actually looked and I believe on the video I call it 2.5, but it's not 2.5D. They actually call it 2DX is what they is what the developer refers to it as. It's like 2D art, but uh, it's it... not retro 2D art. Um and just to kind of parrot some of my comments from the video and if you watched it what you saw, it's got a really cool like involved turn-based battle system. It does take a little bit of getting used to cuz there's it it's pretty dense and intricate it's not the type of game where you can just press attack when you and attack and then press heal when you need to heal there's like a timeline system that's similar to grandia um i guess technically it's round based and not turn based to be specific but you you set up your various attacks that take place over a round and they line up on a timeline and uh Basically, when your characters attack and when the enemy characters attack, and they're all listed on the timeline, is very important because if you hit an enemy before they have a chance to act, that's how you get a critical hit. And there's a lot of statuses and types of attacks and types of, there's different, there's a health resource, there's a shield resource, there's an armor resource, and it's, it's a pretty dense, intricate now, system. for people who haven't does.
0: watched the video it just paint it in your mind's eye it's it looks like a kind of traditional jrpg setup you know allies on the left uh enemies on the right view from the side turn based line up front row back row that sort of thing
1: mm-hmm. and it's really cool you get um your characters in this game are not necessarily more like units than characters like they have each character in the game is like a different class and they each have like a different equipment set and a different ability set so like for example there's one character who is known as the valkyrie who sort of like a frontline fighter but also has the ability to take damage and boost the stats of the other units kind of like a like a like a rally cry sort of thing And then there's a character that was probably the most useful character, and Brian pointed this out in the video, who is the saboteur who loves to blitz. This is one of his techniques, and that is basically timeline manipulation, you can use that character to have the enemy's turns basically wiped out uh, so they don't attack, which is extremely useful.
0: That's a neat trick.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. It was very useful. And then there's there's like, uh, I forget some of the class names, but there's, I think, Enforcer, which is basically like big Damage doing machine gun, dude. There's like an empath, which is like a shields, maintaining shields sort of uh, support character. There's a juggernaut, which is like this tanky woman in like a big mech suit sort of thing. And that's all really cool. There is no real story to the game, though. It's sort of the premise is, is that this evil empire known as the Imperium. Is out to t- conquer all galaxies, not just the galaxy, but all galaxies. And I mean that in the way of like various the alternate universes sort of thing. Like not just this universe, but every universe. This galaxy this Imperium wants to c- conquer the galaxy of every alternate universe. And this premise ties into this like roguelike loop where you take your, your basically your rebellion squad to take on the Imperium and you go from planet to planet basically fighting various bosses and monsters to take them out. And if you fail like a roguelike, you start over from the beginning again and kind of the, the premise justification for that is now you're, you jump to the next galaxy and or the next alternate timeline and you do, you just do it again. And then even if you win, even if you beat the Imperium or whatnot, you just, you have to save the next galaxy from the Imperium and the next timeline or whatever. So it's sort of this endless battle, that that ties into this roguelike loop, and it's you know it's, it's it's a fine it's a fine game and a fine loop, but it is not really this story-driven narrative thing, is what I'm getting at, which is fine. Just, I think some people had the wrong impression, especially based off like a uh, this anime-ish trailer that they. I was I was just, I was just up to that. Yeah, because um, it, it that that trailer is probably like ninety percent of the story is just in that trailer. But one part about the game I was a little bit disappointed in is that being a roguelike, I kind of hope that there's uh, a bit of variety from run to run, run to run, in like the level of randomness that can occur in terms of like uh, what you're doing and uh, what you're taking on and all that. But it is sort of, there is not a whole lot of variety from run to run. You can choose a different set of characters to start with. But otherwise you're basically going to the same planets fighting the same enemies in the same order each time. So it does get a little bit uh samey. But otherwise which is,
0: which is kind of something that you risk with any roguelike, but you think right. but it's you feel like other games have done it better. Yeah. Or they've avoided um, them. I will say that the developer has
1: said that they are still that this is the sort of game where they they released it on PC. It's coming out for other platforms later. But they they've stated that they are going to add more to it, like more bosses, more classes, more planets. So it's like, okay, this is the sort of thing where also like, if...
2: I don't know if you mentioned we mentioned this on the casual mode, but it is on Game Pass too. So
1: oh yeah, but they said they're going to be adding more stuff. So maybe if you play it a year from now, there will be just more to do. But like, I beat be it once. If more... they
0: make it so that like the like instead of having the same three planets or whatever you have like a pool of planets that are shuffled into each run right. it's like oh on this one i get to go to the hoth planet and that's 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 a deliberate comparison because this game uh does kind <laughs> of it it, it kind yeah. of wears its star wars classic you know 4 5 6 inspiration on its sleeve in terms of yeah. the yeah. imperium the enemy yes. design etc
1: yeah, the 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 enemy flagship, it's all pixel art, but the enemy flagship looks like a star destroyer. You literally start each run in a cantina. When you say when you hear the word cantina, like what what other things refer to the, the bars as a cantina other than Star Wars? Uh and it's got a lot of like Star Wars sort of references. Like there's one like early on where a character is like it's just like shooting Zums Zubs back home or whatever and it's like, "Huh." <laughs> <laughs> um like it's not, you know, but it's a pretty cool game. It's the type of game where like, if you really like roguelikes, you like pixel art, it looks fantastic. It also uh, sounds fantastic. It's kind of got this uh, grungy synth electronic sort of music. It actually sort of like reminds me the whole game sort of reminds me of like a DOS era game, only like a modern interpretation of a DOS era game. If that makes sense to people in their thirties, it's kind of got that vibe to it. Yeah, George is like, what is DOS? Uh, DOS was basically an old uh basically old operating systems for computers in terms of how you ran where we had where you had to run games. everything
0: through command prompt. Yeah.
3: I we know, didn't have... knew that, but I also didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, the old the old Apogi games, epic mega games era of games. I remember going to the command prompt and loading like the different directories and run wolf3d.exe and whatnot. So that era game, but it just kind of has like that art style and that sound style and things like that. But yeah, pretty cool game. Uh, I think it's like twenty dollars, so it's like not—that's a pretty good price for a game. But they're going to yeah, be adding. And, more and, to it you, and do, that. you do
0: have a—you uh, do also have a written review up on the website.
1: Yes, I wrote a review, which basically just touches on what I said here in more detail, perhaps. And there's also a casual mode video, which is basically our Quick Look series, just to show what it's like from the and first part we've of now we mentioned a run.
0: it here, so we've done this game, it's, it's due.
1: Yeah. Yep. I guess I'll just go ahead and jump into my next game here, since I have three to talk about. Uh, over the last week or so, I played the re-release of Kingdoms of Amalar Reckoning. So that game... This game has, we've talked about it when it was when the remaster was announced, but this game has a a pretty weird history yeah, in terms so of like what it is and where a, it came from. a little from. bit
0: of an adage where like whenever you talk about a game and like you're publishing something about it, it's a rule of thumb to never go into a history lesson. Except for this yeah. game, I feel like you kind of have to just because it is so like bonkers in terms of mm-hmm. like how is this game being released? Who is behind it? What in the world? Okay, here's kind of, the. Like,
1: Here's the Cliff Notes version. so back like before 2010, uh, a former baseball player Kurt Schilling, uh, who was honestly not a very good <laughs> yeah, not a great guy, uh, he opened up and funded like a studio in the state of Rhode Island to make an MMORPG. This MMORPG had a code name called Copernicus, and it was to be set in a brand new fictional universe called Amalur. and then Amler was actually written by a. Fantasy author known as R.A. Salvatore, who has done a few like Dungeons and Dragons books and has another series I can't remember off the top of my head. But they like hired an author to write this 10,000 year history of this fictional world that they were going to be creating. But MMORPG development takes a long time, especially for a new studio. And what they actually did is there was another studio, Big Huge Games, who was working under the old THQ, making a different game. And basically Kurt Schilling Studio which is 38 38 is it just called 38 Studios? It's yeah. based on his uh, it's based on his jersey number. <laughs> That's not narcissistic yeah, at yeah, all, but anyways, Yeah, what um, about
0: that to plug? <laughs> um, they
1: basically they basically acquired this other THQ studio and they repurposed that game to be a single player RPG to be to introduce the World of Amler before that Copernicus MMORPG came out. And so that game was retooled, renamed, and that was released in 2012 as Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And then the studio, like, fell apart two months later. Something <laughs> like that.
0: And then they filed okay. for bankruptcy and et cetera. And couldn't yeah. pay back their loan from the state of Rhode Island. Yeah. A whole
2: for bunch. a um, and then the state of Rhode Island completely owned the Kingdoms of Amalur IP. It
1: was, yeah. <laughs> it was very weird and strange and interesting, I guess. But then THQ Nordic, which is not the original THQ that this big, huge game was working under 10 years ago. It's a new developer in a new place that acquired the THQ trademark. Weird how this all works. The uh, diagrams kind of Yeah. They, they acquired the IP back, the Kingdoms of Amalur IP back. And then they are re-releasing this game. They got the, uh, I think it was owned by EA at a point and they got it back from EA or not got it back because it's a new developer, a new publisher. Anyways, they are now re-releasing the game and there's even gonna be like an expansion to it next year, which is kind of weird to think about. Like, I guess it's not a dead IP anymore. There's gonna be new stuff. Uh, So yeah, it got re-released on modern platforms. It's just a remaster. So it's, and there's gonna be an expansion later, like I said, but it's basically the same game for new platforms. And this is actually my first time playing the game. And long story short, maybe it's not so short. The history and the world and the lore of this Amler universe is admittedly pretty impressive. I guess that makes sense when they got this author to basically pen up 10,000 years of history for it. Like playing this game, it's clear that there's like many places and events and storylines that have been put into place in terms of like how did this city get founded and come about? How did this region of the world get created? How did this faction of fae Faye is a creature in the game like how how are they different from this other faction of Faye? uh and it's it's pretty impressive just like how much lore is there but it is also kind of weird that right now this game is where it is all where it all is right now because there is no other entry into this world Are no, i don't think there are any books or so, any other so game. Is, is,
0: is amalur a tabletop world RPG world this oh, is a bit of a no tame, right, i, I don't oh, go ahead
1: I, I, it's not based on any tabletop RPG. Because I was sort wondering, of like, we've seen, we've
0: seen more games kind of poking into the, uh, like, the World of Darkness stuff, like Vampire Masquerade, where, uh, Werewolf, the, the Apocalypse, Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. X, the Y. And then, like, we've also seen, uh, obviously, there's a bunch of, uh, Wizards of the Coast has been really, sh- like, licensing out their Dungeons & Dragons IPs for things like Baldur's Gate and Celesta, Um Then, like, a couple years, well, maybe a handful of years ago at this point, we saw Numenara, which is a tabletop RPG. Like, the new Planescape game was set there. It's kind of an interesting, like, well, here's this pool of, like, where half the world building is done for you. Do you want to create a video game in this setting? Now, obviously, that you you run into, like, ownership of, you know, trademarks and stuff that I'm not really versed to speak on. But it's an interesting premise for setting up a a fantasy world rather than starting from scratch with with every new entry.
3: Anyway, that's a bit Mm -hmm. of a
0: tangent. I was wondering if MLR was like a tabletop thing that existed pre this game. No,
1: it was created for the MMO and then they used it for a different game that was repurposed, which is and the one the MMO that released. Never happened. <laughs> and then, yeah, the MMO is dead. So that's just kind of weird. Um, as for the game itself, it's an action RPG. And I actually looked up some of the history. They wanted it to feel God of War-ish, like the original PS2 series of God of War. and it's, it's, it's a pretty fluid and cool combat system. It does get maybe a little bit repetitive. Just ultimately, once you find like combos that work, you sort of just do those over and over again. But it is pretty fluid and fun to control and just generally works to play anyway. And, but the one thing about this game that does not really work too well, and I'm not exactly sure why they built it like this, is this game has more than 250 side quests. And there are, there are, they are, it's, it's kind of like like Xenoblade. The original Xenoblade sort of gets some flack for just having being like overstuffed with side quests. And this is sort of like the WRPG version of that. There's just so many quests. And the thing about it is, is like, like I would say 80% of them are just not interesting quests. It's sort on, of- On this,
0: average, they're very boring.
1: Yeah, they're like fetch quests or like collect these things or fight this one differently colored monster somewhere else. And a lot of these quests have you go into these dungeon areas that are sort of just like these copy-paste caverns all over the world. Like, there are so many caverns that are dotted along the world, and they're just, like, I I don't even remember what they were called, or they're they're just not distinct. It's like tunnels, connect caves connected by tunnels, and, like, 8 out of 10 of them all look the same. There's a scant few that are like, oh, this one's got this fire theme to it, so I remember that one. But otherwise... It's just like really overstuffed with quests and these samey looking dungeon areas to basically house these quests. It sort of feels like old school weak MMO style questing. Not to imply that all MMOs have bad quests, but just sort of the uh just the classic pair of,
0: of like oh, this is what you want your new online game to avoid or whatever. Even though I know yeah. this game is not an online game. <laughs> It has
1: that feel, though. It's just a bunch of like fetch quests and things like that. So it's just it kind of just becomes like you just your map and your UI and your quest log is just filled with all these markers and things and uh, just it's just like this would have been better if they just literally cut out cut out like half the quests or more and just focused on quests to make them a little bit more unique or interesting rather than just stuffing as many as they could. It's just very weird why they decided to do that. There are a handful of quests that are known as faction quests, and kind of tying into like the world lore stuff, um, I guess I never really said what the premise of the game is. Uh, OK, so at the onset of the game, you wake up on top of a pile of a pile of corpses, and you're like, "What the hell am I doing here?" And then you, sor- you shortly learn later that your character was killed, which is why you're on corpses. But an experiment basically brought you back to life. And this experiment that brought you back to life has basically severed your character from the quote tapestry of fate. This world that this game is listed in Amalur, is sort of like this uh it has this backdrop where everything is sort of predetermined and predestined and certain characters can like peer pure into this kind of like timeline of what's going to happen and when. But your character sort of breaks free of that and then it's basically You know you know what of this of, reminds yeah. me
0: of? tales of the abyss
1: or lots of other rpg or japanese that's, RPGs that's fair that yeah are, like
0: the, the, the general beats do kind of uh, show <laughs> make them. your own fate yeah, yeah exactly um but, but the but world but specifically that system... sorry I, i'm still stuck on this comparison but, but specifically having people who can peer into it like they, they have the characters that do that in tales of the abyss and the characters who, yes. who are exempt from it which is specifically a the population of yeah. characters in tales of the abyss so yeah that's all right mm-hmm. so i'm off, off my tangent. Right, but the world that this is set in—the best way to describe it—is that there
1: are there are like the mortal characters, which are basically humans and elves. Yes, elves are more version of elves, and then there are the immortal characters, which are known as fae. And fae—they're they're sort of like this—they're um, like these magical uh, manifestations. They're sort of like half creature, half magic sort of things, and they live in this world and they talk and appear just like. People, but they are immortal, and so there's sort of this. There's 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 various things that come up. Like some of these fey creatures kind of view humans as lesser beings. Some of them just kind of view them as interesting curiosities. Some of them just sort of. And actually, the actual main antagonistic faction of the game are basically a set of fey that think that humans actually need to be wiped out and sort of thing. Uh, but. There's these set of faction quests that are basically like there's one faction of humans that are known as sworn that are basically uh, like mercenaries. There's a, there's a various Fay factions, there's various elf factions that you work with. And each of those quest lines have a sort of a through line to them in terms of like there's an internal conflict or some issue that you sort of work towards. And some of those faction quests actually do have some like decisions you can make in terms of what you want to do and will affect how these factions kind of treat you as a character. And those sorts of quests are like, okay, this is actually fine and interesting and cool. I kind of wish there was just more of this and less of the uh, just, hey, I need to collect this thing from these four other NPCs. Can you talk to them for me? So, yeah, yeah that's, it's a pretty decent game. I was actually looking up some older reviews for this game and modern reviews and a common through line that a lot of, people seem to have for it was like this is a pretty good introduction to this brand new fantasy world i can't wait to see where it goes from here
0: it's like oh well <laughs>
1: now it actually seems like there's if... a, that's actually a
0: possible that's actually a
3: possibility though it's like yeah, if... it has a pulse with this new yeah. expansion thing would you be and interested it... in playing the expansion when it comes out do you think it's sort of like i probably well, will new enough it is that's kind cool of cool weird then. though to think about like the developer that made this game,
1: Big Huge Games, still exists. I think they mostly do mobile stuff now. Uh, 38 Studios is the studio that fell under the MMO studio. But, you know, that was eight years ago. But if THQ Nordic... Well, I guess talking about the expansion, it's like, are they going to just be copying a lot of the different art assets that are already put in place and sort of just recoloring them for a new people or new area... For what it's worth, I've it literally said nothing about this expansion other than that it exists and that its title is Fate Sworn. Fate is, of course, the big key or big concept in the game. So, so I, it, I have a general question: it's hard to like imagine the what it's be. premise
0: of the game. Sure. So sometimes with these like fantasy RPGs that are very like Western European high fantasy focused, whether whether you assign that like D and D or uh, Tolkien or whatever, sometimes my eyes glaze over a little bit when they're like. The God of Death, Unger, and the God of War, blah and the the War Sworn or like. Does the game do enough to like hook you into it and actually feel like, yeah, this has got something going for it? Like, does does the question make sense? Like, sometimes I feel like it is is it, so... Does
1: it, does. it set itself apart.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> That's a good. No,
1: good I'm thinking. I think the 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 kind of this contrast between like mortal creatures and immortal creatures is a little bit more it sort of reminds me of like tolkien elves and humans because elves are immortal in the tolkien universe but it's just, it's like that only if the elves were like way more present everywhere sort of thing uh like there's there's more actual like dialogue and scenarios that happen between humans and fae in this, in this world and then there are also elves in the game. And there's actually two different types of elves. I forget how you pronounce these words exactly. There's like Dolkalfar and some other race of elves that are also present. And like the Dolkalfar, for instance, they're they are a race of elves that have sort of been like ostracized everywhere. So they don't have like a home. They do have like a home, but they're they're mostly spend like they're like nomadic peoples that kind of just go where they can and live how they can, sort of thing. So I think it, it was very think, um
0: dragon ages Dragon Age has like two groups of elves that are like well they' like one of them lives in cities in the slums because no one respects them, and then the other ones don't want to like deal with that shit, so they just they they are nomadic or something like that yeah, the I, played. I would say it's not like especially
1: distinct from other fantasy universes, but I think it does a f- something
0: interesting yeah,
1: I do think the the general world and lore of Amler is a little bit more interesting than the actual like front-to-back storyline itself. The, the, the breaking away from fate thing is a little bit uh, like, yeah, I've sort of heard this story before, like build your own fate, whatever, sort of theming. I mean, it's fine. It's just not, that's not especially unique. So it's like, I'm kind of interested to see more of the world. And, but if like a sequel or expansion is not focused on this character specifically, that would be fine. But yeah, it's a it's a decent game. Uh I wouldn't say that like it's a must-play at all, but you know, if you are interested in this sort of style of game, I think it's worth checking out. Maybe,
0: maybe don't bother doing all the quests. <laughs> and we do also have a uh, written review for that up too. So you were busy in this last week.
1: Yeah, and I should mention that uh we never did a review for the uh original version, just back in 2012, we just didn't have in the, in the primordial days
0: of RPG site. So.
1: Yeah. None of us were here, I think, back then. <laughs> I was shortly before I joined. But uh, so this was our first full review of the game. So kind of uh, it gave us an excuse to visit it. I have one more game to talk about.
0: Well, I was actually going to think like, let's let's maybe just come back, circle around back to you, just to let sure, you know, some, just to kind of like fan it out a little <laughs> more evenly. So Makes I would sense. feel so I would feel guilty if we invited Cullen on and we didn't give him a chance to talk about uh, Dragon Quest. So I think the last time you were on, Colin, you basically had just finished Dragon Quest XI S and had a lot of uh, very positive things to say about it. And I you've been jumping between a lot of the games. So I think you just finished eight. I did. Correct just me if I'm wrong.
4: A couple days ago. Um, and then before that, I finished one. But uh, first of all, I just wanted to maybe take like a minute at most to say Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn sucks. It's <laughs> so bad. And I'm really excited because everything after is like re- way better, apparently but good lord it is the most boring like 40 hours of game i've ever played um, i'm gonna
0: I'm, I'm gonna put a timestamp on this that specifically says Colin calls out <laughs> a real reward
4: oh so boring and i know everybody because i've been streaming it and everybody's been saying yeah it sucks it gets better and i'm like i know it gets better and they're like it sucks for a reason and i'm like i know it sucks for a reason <laughs> but it still sucks
2: have you played it at all since uh, I was on stream with you, or
4: I um after the Crystal Tower raids we did, I stopped playing. I needed a break. I burnt myself out way too hard. Yeah, it's like I love fourteen. It's re- it's still really fun to play, but good lord, the fact that you have to sit through this boring ass like uh, base game where m- where most of the people in my stream were saying just skip the cutscenes that aren't voiced. Like it's the a Realm Reborn tells you basically nothing.
2: Yeah. The plot doesn't actually get going until the um, post-game patch quest. And
4: and guess what? Even those kind of suck at the beginning, too.
2: Yeah, it doesn't really start getting going until, like, 2.3. Like, once you get into 2.3, it really starts getting going. It gets interesting, and, like, the lead-up directly into Heaven's Word is really good. uh,
4: This is, like, and this is an MMO for Kiseki fans, I'd say. Cause you have like 50 hours of bad buildup to some really cool shit.
2: I will <laughs> say. And I remember mentioning this back when I was going through 14 earlier this year is that even if the actual pacing of the story is shit, uh, even what really helps me get through those patch quests before they trim them. Now they're trimmed. Now you can fly. So you're going to have a much better time of it than I did. But um. All of the level fifty content unlocks after you finish the uh, boring ass two final dungeons. Uh, the dungeons are more interesting. The trials are more interesting. Obviously, you did the Crystal Tower, which uh, it seemed like you enjoyed that at least. It, it was
4: seemed- it was fun. Like uh, it was still really dumb. Like the story and the Crystal Tower stuff, I thought was kind of dumb. Uh, but it was like fun dumb, unlike the rest, which was boring dumb. So you know, take what I can get.
0: I yeah. wonder with um, MMOs, obviously, we just said that none of us are game developers here, but it doesn't take you know a lot of insight to realize how complicated those things are and how massive they have to be and how many systems they have to juggle. So I do wonder, like when you're just trying to get this thing off the ground, where having a very I... strong narrative or plot through line is compared to just making sure that all the systems play nice. And I've played a couple of MMOs. I'm not an expert, but I have been more into it more recently. And I feel like MMOs starting out weekly and then getting stronger as they kind of, like, dial in what their premise is, what their their style is, what their focus is. I think that just kind of, like, comes with the territory. At least it feels like that.
2: Like, um, and I even mentioned it with uh, some of the ways that they integrate side stories into the later expansions. Like, um, particularly how they kind of direct players to doing these side stories and actually figuring out, like, discovering them and like checking them out by tying like stuff like the ether currents, which allows you to fly in the expansion areas to decide that, well, at least the first portions of those side stories.
0: Well, that's smart in general where it's like, if they have a weaker story thread that they've had earlier in the game, and then they want to say, let's revisit this character, this person, we have a better purpose for them. Now they can kind of bolster it in that way by saying, all right, now we have a better understanding
2: of what we're doing. Base game, a realm reborn story is shit. It doesn't do anything to make you invested in the city states, and it real, and it does change. It does change. But the only reason I kind of can defend the state of A Realm Reborn is the fact that they were designing that story, they were designing the original um, A Realm Reborn game, while at the same time half the team was working on supporting the original version of 14.
4: Yeah. And that's what, like, I understand that, but it's like, Oh my God. So like when in this patch, they were talking about, like, they're like, Oh, we've really shortened to realm reborn a whole bunch. Um, I have a lot of other friends who have had like, you know, FF 14, like veterans will walk them through those quests. And they didn't notice like in base game realm reborn, almost nothing's cut out. You could have cut is- out so much of that. That is not true. It doesn't feel like it fucking sucks. Like you could have you could have condensed a Realm Reborn to so few little quests that it's it's crazy. Like there's nothing of value there. It's so weird. And I like Not and again I'm, and I need to preface this before people might get mad at me. I like 14. I think a Realm Reborn is just like it's almost inexcusable. Like I get it. But like the state it's still in I don't know how and I don't know how I got through it if it wasn't for me streaming it I wouldn't have finished that good lord it's so boring so did
0: you end up finishing are you in heaven's word now or are you in the post gap between the the two and I Ah, like
4: the patches and I burnt out and I'm not gonna play for a little bit because I need to well I've been playing better games like dragon (laughs) Quest.
0: you need to heal up with uh something that's better
4: Oh yeah. Um, so I played in my break. I basically played two different kinds of games. I played Dragon Quest, and then I played Pretentious Dragon Quest, which is a little, uh, you know. I, I reviewed Moon. Moon's very good. Um, but anyway, what do you want I'm, to talk about I'm, first? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to actually talk about Moon. We can just shout out my article, and we can point to people.
0: Okay, shout we out! Uh, we have an article on Moon that Colin wrote up uh, that yeah, went up it's... last week.
4: So check it out. It's a very good. Re- well, it's not a good review because I wrote it, but it's a good game. <laughs>
3: debatable
4: uh uh, but yeah so i've been playing a butt but ton of dragon quest it is still madly in love uh i've been playing them back and forth jumping between them because i think that's the best way for me to kind of you know not get bored on one in particular not that they're boring but you know if you play like 14 if i play nothing but that i'm gonna burn out um but i i actually i decided to go all the way back to dragon quest one and while I would not really recommend that game to anybody but, like, hardcore um, classic RPG fans, it's fun. It's it's very simple, very straightforward. Um, it's very archaic and obtuse in how you progress. And it takes a while for Dragon Quest to not start being obtuse, I'd say. Like, w- to have more direction. And then I feel like 8 kind of takes away a lot of the direction, but in a good way. But yeah, uh, I oh and uh, as of last like like last time I was on the podcast, just tell me at a certain point to shut up and I'll just stop talking. I like,
3: like... that last time Brian actually did say basically shut up. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, well, that's here, how about neat. that? Adam,
0: we Adam had the floor for like twenty six minutes, so you have at least twenty four more minutes. Okay, so just remind me.
4: Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I um I've been uh, I I because I've been playing Dragon Quest uh eight on my DS and the 3ds version of that game is amazing once you know you get better music on it um
2: did you play the mod that kind of fixed up some of the uh graphical uh changes on new 3ds or something because i think there's one out there that lets you uh like in towns and stuff where some of the uh like ground textures were a bit weird
4: i did not know that existed actually um i wish i had did because i probably would have patched it but i still had a great time so because i like i finished like, I'm i that game's weird uh because the like you look at something like dragon quest 11 where like the i guess quote post game is just the the rest of the story um and you just keep playing dragon quest 8 is interesting because you beat the game and then it unlocks a special area and when you reload your save though, it's not like you're like continuing your story and going to that new area. You start before the final boss. And so if you you have to do that new area to get the true ending, but that means you have to fight the final boss again. And I didn't want to do that. So I just YouTube the true ending. <laughs>
1: Is well, that... the post-game in uh, 8 reminded me, if I'm wrong, if I remember correctly. First of all, they added a part in the 3DS version, but it's like a series of battles, like the Draconian Trials. And it's it's just like you fight a different types of dragon-type bosses, right? And then you get different armor that changes the, the hero's equipment and also gives a slight bit of backstory to the hero. Is that right?
4: Um, so, uh, yes. Um, but only one of those is really required to do the true ending. Um, Okay, go to this new area. It's called the Dracovian, but I'm just gonna say like Dracovian, I think, sanctuary. You go there, and then there's like two mini dungeons to go through. I guess they're full dungeons. Dragon Quest dungeons are not that long usually, which is what I pretty i appreciate because these maybe take like 20 to 30 minutes to get through. Um, and then there's like a super (laughs) boss after that. Um, and then in that little period, you learn a bunch of story. Honestly, I'd say that's the best story in the game. Is in the post game when you learn about the hero's like backstory, and one might be like, "Well, that's kind of su- that sucks that they held off on the, um you know, on e- explaining the hero's backstory until the end." But I think it works pretty well for like what Dragon Quest Eight was trying to go for. Um, but I was, like, there's like a gnat flying around me, and it's like it's trying to keep me keep me <laughs> not talking about Dragon Quest, and it's really bothering me. Um, but yeah, so that you you know you do your story bit, and you get a MacGuffin item. That you can give to a character at the like during the ending segment that will change the ending you get,, mm-hmm. but again, you need to beat the final boss again to do that, and I didn't want to do that, and then after that, you unlock the Dracovian trials, which I did not do because they seem hard, and I feel like i've I've gotten my Dragon Quest eight experience here, <laughs> like yeah, but it's it's very strange how eight eight does its post game because you're basically doing all this post-game stuff living like with uh, under the shadow of the giant evil monster that is about to kill everybody and you're just goofing around doing post-game stuff and if you talk to your party members even some of them are like what are we doing here doing the it's a more
1: it's a more classic interpretation of post-game yeah
4: like, um but it's it's good stuff it's good content um i i if like you love Dragon Quest 8 then you'll probably enjoy grinding up to do all like the super bosses cuz the 3DS version adds a ton of those
1: i actually did do the uh there's another post game dungeon added to the 3DS version that is basically basically the the hardest trials in the game sort of thing and i actually did do all of it uh good. it's 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 the sort of thing where that that second dungeon has no story stuff it's basically all combat mechanical stuff so it's for people who really want to dig into that
4: um oh yeah and the 3ds version also adds a fun new mini dungeon i guess you could say um which doesn't need to be it's not necessarily post-game it's just kind of hidden and it wraps up one character's arc in a sort of satisfying way i'm not really sure i don't know if you you know what i'm talking what, about
1: not off the top of my head what is this
4: um well it's uh you know, Marcello.
1: Like, yeah oh yeah right yes
4: yeah, they um because in the original game marcello is, is like the i guess antagonist throughout the game he has like bit parts really he's just kind of like a dick it's not like he's like this mustache well he's kind of mustache twirling but he's just an asshole who wants power and he's um related to one of your uh, party members mm-hmm. and then when you beat him in the story he originally all that happened to him was he would go all right then bye
1: yeah, he just sort of
0: just leaves.
4: He just limps away. And then in the 3DS version, you have a little new dungeon that's supposed to like it's they just pull a rabbit out of out of the hat and it's like, "Oh, here's a new guy who was one of Rapthorn's generals or whatever." Ooh, and you just kick his ass and Marcello's there and he's like, "Hi, I'm Marcello. Here's closure. It's not a lot, but here you go. Bye again." which honestly i've been kind of disappointed in that i feel like angelo's plot could have been resolved a bit better but you know in general the-
1: though the 3ds version i actually i i prefer it pretty strongly to the oh. to the ps2 version for a few reasons it, right it doesn't have the same visuals obviously it doesn't have the orchestrated soundtrack unless you mod it in which I but uh i think adding the two new playable characters which is uh, red and
4: mori and mori
1: group i think that adds a lot because in the original game you only get four characters and you have four characters in a party so basically it's just like your how do i put this your party composition is the same all the time we're adding those two extra characters now it's like okay now you can actually swap wow. characters in and out which and it's, it's worth adds mentioning- quite a bit
4: <laughs> um it's worth mentioning um to my knowledge dragon quest 8 does not have the respec options of uh, character building that 11 has
0: so yes, I think that's build
4: your right. Characters a certain way and at a certain point like you it is a horrible idea to juggle multiple different uh, weapon branches mm-hmm. like you can do it maybe like put a little bit in there every once in a while, but it's not a good idea because you'll end up with severely under leveled characters because
3: mm-hmm.
4: you're kind of stuck with, you know, what you put your skills into. And by the end of the game, you're probably only going to have enough skill points to do one of those and maybe your character's unique uh, class branch. I, I know, like, last time I was on, I was talking about the magic mystic of Dragon Quest, and now I'm talking more about mechanical stuff. Um, But a uh, 3DS version of Dragon Quest Eight is amazing. Like, yeah, there's some, mm-hmm. like, downsides, but mechanically and technically, that is the best version of the game. Like... S- Speed-up option. Speed-up option is, one, amazing. Um speed up option for you know the fact that the game runs well because on yeah. the game runs terribly uh well there's like screen tearing and it's slow down and it's it's kind of a mess and so the 3ds version runs better uh there's more story more characters maury's in it um mori he's mori don't, i don't know like fuck it, god the monster arena is super fun
1: for what it's worth, Mori is in the PS2 version doing the Monster Arena stuff, he just doesn't join you,
4: yeah. And then if he joins you, he has really good dialogue. Where, like, there's a part um, in the 3DS version that's easy to miss. Where, after you do the like, you learn the character's backstory, Mori's like, You've had a really hard life, but don't worry if anyone ever comes at you, you come to Mori, and Mori will give you a big bear hug, and he'll make sure everything's okay. I'm like, Yeah, I will, Mori.
0: <laughs> He's like your
1: surrogate father,
4: <laughs> yeah dragon quest and dads because this dragon quest here didn't really have a dad and yeah uh uh, but um yeah eight is probably my second favorite dragon quest game it's really good i love the approach to it eight is a lot like 11 but while 11 is a more linear experience eight is stupidly open like you get a boat and you as soon as you get a boat in that game Everything is open to you. It does not stop you from going wherever you want. It doesn't really necessarily even tell you where to go. It just says we need to go to the western continent. That's it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people might find that bad. Um, but at a certain point you kind of start to appreciate games that do that. Like that's a dragon quest thing where it just opens up and it lets you just do whatever you want. And it, you know, it's it's great. Um, I'm not gonna talk too much about eight because I don't know how much time I have left. Um but I've been playing a bunch of Dragon Quest all around. I still think I'm playing a bit of 4. 4 is amazing. I played a bit of 5 last night. Um, I, I replayed the beginning of that game because I, I'm trying to get like, re- I'm trying to record footage of all the Dragon Quest games for a project I'm working on. And have you guys seen the Your Story
3: movie? I've heard all about it, but no, I haven't seen it i think I every time we talk dragon quest this comes up and it's just regarded as really bad oh it's awful
4: it's so bad like for um i spent a year pretty much hearing that your story you know before it came out on netflix and even a bit after it came out on netflix that, like your story is a good adaptation with a bad ending um the reality of it is your story is a horrible adaptation and the ending is the most interesting thing in the movie but the ending is executed so poorly that it makes it bad like I, oh my god so um, for those of you who don't know Dragon Quest V, one of the most beloved RPGs in Japanese history um, it is a story about a one, one man's like childhood to adulthood and you get to play out those parts of his life And it's really cool. Like, you like the first five hours of the game, you are a child. Your dad is taking you around. He's healing you every time you get in battles. You're like learning all, you're learning about the world from the perspective of a child. And like, everyone talks down to you because you know, you're a kid. And it's really cool how they use game, like the fact that it is a game there to tell like some cool storytelling beats and like introduce you to the world. Like, for example, your dad is awesome. He's the coolest motherfucker around. How do you know this? Well, usually RPGs would say that's your dad. He's cool, and the game does this with its dialogue. But you get to constantly see, like, in battles with your dad as a like a guest party member. He like he kills stuff in one hit. He, you know, he's really strong. His level is way higher than you. And I always love little little details like that. I know Final Fantasy VII does something with that as well, where they're able to convey how strong Sephiroth is from that little moment with a, uh, you know, that flashback with Cloud and Sephiroth. And I, I love stuff yeah. like that really cool dragon quest your story takes those five hours of really cool world building and character building and just just in general setup for the whole plot and they condense it to five minutes
3: mm-hmm.
0: like is it like they, a montage with like music playing over it
4: It's pretty much a montage and every uh. once in a while they they say something and you know it's like oh cool they cut out all the interesting parts of that like there's for example there's a prince you meet very like i guess near the end of that arc where he gets kidnapped immediately and you're supposed to take like you know you're you're supposed to be guarding him in the game there's this whole thing where it's like oh the the queen actually hired those people to kidnap uh, harry and put him into slavery
1: huh
4: (laughs) she wanted her kid to be the king And that's you know, and he learns this in like when you find him, he's like, I don't even want to go back. My mom, like the queen, doesn't want me here. Why would I? Like you know, you can start to see bits of character development there, and then you know the movie just skips that, skips that completely. Um, it also kind of it makes light of a lot of the more dark and grim parts of the the game. Again, you there's a big chunk in the second uh, act. Well, not a big chunk. It's like the beginning of it where you know your main character spends 10 years as a slave and you need to break out and it's this really like it's this defining moment for your character and harry's character to like to go through this and the movie makes it like dumb pixar jokey bullshit where you're like you're going it's like the zany escape sequence woo! and then you Uh. go back to the castle and you're like you know they're both making jokes and everything like oh you miss me huh and it's like what the hell is this? And it it's really funny that the movie's so poorly paced because it's an hour and 40 minutes long.
2: Huh.
0: They just
4: focus on the wrong parts. Like there's maybe like 30 minutes dedicated to um, reestablishing one of the love interests who should have been introduced in the child segment. But they wait to introduce her. Well, actually they entered all the, I weren't sure it's all the both female leads or like both female love interest. They introduce them in the adult se- segment, and they literally just go, "Oh, it's you, my childhood friend I met as a <laughs> child." They don't actually introduce them, which is sad because one of those characters is introduced in the game's first dungeon, which is this really cool ghost mansion where you walk around like it's like two five year olds just beating up ghosts. It's cool. And I,
1: I'm trying to remember that that mansion has a really like stupid but cool pun name. What is it?
4: <laughs> uh, um oh god i don't all I in know, english the the um the the count is like count up to ten yes and, up to ten towers is yeah. what the,
1: is what the uh, castle is called up to ten towers and
4: his wife is called miscount
1: <laughs> it's great i love yeah. these dragon puns. it's
4: is so good i love all like god there i still see people who get really like stingy with how they localize stuff and like i get if like if accents aren't your thing but like you have moments like Hotto and Dragon Quest Eleven where everybody speaks in haiku, and I'm like, this is so good. It makes well, me so happy to see like this creativity. That while it still keeps like the actual meaning of everything they're saying. Like in my only
1: criticism of the uh, accent sometimes is when they're written out in text. I think sometimes they overdo it, where okay. they could they could get the same idea across. Spanish accent but you don't need to have like every other word have like like spanish like written dialogue like you can you can kind of lighten up on that a like, bit and still get the same idea across okay. just let the uh, accent
0: speak it, for itself rather than like hammering it too hard it kind like of uh, it kinda reminds me
1: of it kind of reminds me of Trials of Mana with Charlotte like yeah we get it she talks in baby talk but you don't have to have like every word be baby talk you can yeah, lighten it up a bit
4: I definitely think yeah there's like a middle ground to be reached there because sometimes they do go a bit too much um but i i just oh it's so charming like it's i think it's really impressive the quality of dragon quest 11's localization because i don't know how this was handled in the japanese version but i imagine this was one of the liberties taken again and i think it worked really well all the mermaids speak in rhyme yep in uh in 11 and it's very impressive that you can create scenes that make me cry like a baby when the characters are speaking in rhyme, and usually that would never work. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much, um, like, I don't know, oh, God, but they're so talented. Like, whoever localizes the Dragon Quest games, you're, you're good at your job.
1: I hope Side, you I think. Hmm? It's, a, it's the, it's, I think it's called Side, or am I getting oh. the, I might be getting it mixed up with the voice studio. It's the same, it's the same localizers who do like the Nino Kuni game. Okay. And the first Xenoblade, you know, not the second Xenoblade. You know, uh, very apparent let me let me let me look this up uh, I, I i it's a uk based localizer uh side is the one that comes to mind but there's also like a uk voice studio that is that works for them a bunch that has a different name let me let me look this up while you continue
0: yeah i think um, both xenoblade and uh dragon quest 11 and thinking that both those loca- localizations are excellent i i need to keep an eye out on what this uh porting house or, or translation house or whatever you want to call them i'm not sure what their actual title would be what they're working on seeing what they oh, okay
1: made. i i found i found it side is the voice studio the localization to the studio is schlock s-h-l-o-c S- okay. um they did they also did death stranding oh, oddly okay. enough um but yeah nino cooney dragon quest the original xenoblade uh they there, do there. good work
4: they, they do great work i'm very mm-hmm. and i i think that it's i dragon quest has made me appreciate fantasy games and xenoblade as well fantasy games that like have like that are basically localized in uk branches with like like those kind of accents applied to them because i think it adds a lot to the setting Mm -hmm. um but yeah just i've been i'm still going through them all i'm still really enjoying them the only ones i finished are 11 8 and 1 uh i'm i gotta i gotta start up too soon I gotta. I have to admit.
1: I don't know how you like just start kind of all these games like in parallel and just kind of play them side by side. I went through these just one to back to front or front I to mean, back. I think
4: front. Dragon Quest works really well with this because there's a lot of shared, um, like you know, stuff between them all. Because every Dragon Quest game just takes what was done before and improves and innovates, or at least attempts to do so. And then like you know, because the the spirit of all these games is, the, is constant. There's stuff in Dragon Quest 1 that you can still feel done in Dragon Quest 11. Like, it's Yuji Horii just makes these games so comfy and they all have this similar vibe to them that makes them really, like... It makes this actually a lot easier than it seems because you get to go through and, like... And I think it's more interesting this way because you also get to go through and notice all the different improvements as you play through the games and, like, the different design principles that, you know, keep getting built on and it's oh man they're so good some I, uh,
0: context just so you have it is in 2017 or 18 i forget if we were podcasting at that time but adam literally played through like games in like sequence so you'd be like today i played oh this week i played one and two and this week i played three and the next week i played four and five. <laughs> it was just like I, in series i i probably should
4: be doing that but also i have like add and i can't focus for shit so i like i need to be moving on to the next one like i'm i'm playing four right now and four is great but if you play so much of four you're probably you might get a little not bored but it's like you you might start you, like you getting tired it of it. so you like I'm, i've am i been trying to switch it up just so i can actually you know get through them all because if i do focus on just one at a time i might burn out and i don't want to burn out because i'm having way too much fun playing these games um so how much time do i have left do i have to, do uh, I have to move on I'm trying to think like what you have is uh
0: 30
1: seconds no i, I don't know uh, uh, we just we just sort of talk until the conversation comes to a natural uh you know breaking point or whatever. I will say that my favorite three we're drag- all are 11, 5 and 3. I kind of feel like those three games all are like a little bit different from each other. 3 is more like mechanical like job system, it's sort of like the Final Fantasy 5 of Dragon Quest where it just has a really cool job and combat and balance and character system and it's kind of a good wrap on like the original storyline. Oh. You know 5 is like the most story centric like front to back with the character focused game where 11 is I think 11 and 8 like you said are kind of in a similar pairing yeah. but 11 I think um 5
4: is impressive because 5 was the first time they really tried to do that. I think starting with 3 you can tell Yuji Hori wanted like was able to make a more focus on story and it's still in the lens of an old game because it was made in 1988 what I find really impressive is that like Final Fantasy one was really like was considered like, oh, my God, this game is so cool because it's doing all this fun stuff and all this customization. And then Dragon Quest three came out two months later and does everything that did, but better. Mm -hmm. And I think Dragon Quest three holds up better than Final Fantasy one does. I know people might disagree with me on that. I just think three has a bit more going on with that. But I think five five three and 11 as like a top three that's like a completely like valid like it's it's so hard to tell and like if someone gives you their top well you know three or five dragon quest games it's not like you can disagree with them all games have something new and like different about them and unique about them where anybody could like like different ones for different reasons i mean it seems most of the time like 11 8 and like 11 8 and 5 are like considered usually like some of the best ones that's more some of the most beloved ones and uh five and uh three are you know i mean it's dragon quest three everybody loves dragon quest three in japan uh like my top i'd say my top three are i i I think i might i don't know if i'd get flack for this i i think instead like it would be five but i think i like four a bit more than five just a bit it's like dragon quest 11 8 and then four. I just I really like four. I don't know why. I think four was like a like a pleasant surprise. Cause I feel like not a lot of people talk about
0: four, and I think that's because the DS version is not that good. Um but I don't know a ton about the series, but I feel like f- almost parallel to Final Fantasy, between three and four, you can see like a significant step up.
4: Oh yeah, and like even though like yeah, four was still an NES game but it's still like every Dragon Quest game usually makes big leaps forward, which is cool. Um, And what I was saying about like the DS version of four is, so I don't know if anybody knows this, when they were localizing the DS version of four, for time reasons, they cut out party chat, which is a significant part of the game's script, is just gone. Like all Ah. of the characterization from four, like the reasons why you would like those characters is completely absent in the like the English DS
1: release. They added it back for the mobile release. They did, but... though,
4: and that's why I'm playing that version. And yep. I'm I'm having a blast with four now. It's it's so good. Uh, I I because I think five is amazing. The story is what really shines in that game. But I like the gameplay more in four, and I like the structure a bit more in four. Or um, for those of you who don't know, Dragon Quest four is a it is a. It's called Chapters of the Chosen. That's the subtitle it has in um, in um, America. And the main thing with that is every single chapter, like you do not play as your as the hero of the game until like I want to say like fifteen hours in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it does instead is it introduces each one of your party members in their own little story chapter, and you get to go through bits of their lives and see how they got to the point where they want to help the hero. So in chapter one, you know, chapter one through four, you go through their little arcs. They have little like you know, you start them at level one every time, and you go through their mini little stories. Like for example, there's one of the stories where it's, hey, you're like, what's and it's completely unique to Dragon Quest Four.
1: It's better be Torneco.
4: Yeah, I was about to say, you're this dude named Torneco Taloon. You work in this dinky ass shop, and you're not respected at all. But you want to make your own shop one day. So one day you say, hey fuck you dude i'm going out there and i'm gonna get my own shop and you go explore you you can buy like uh monsters drop more weapons in this chapter so you can take those weapons and armor and sell them to like other people and make profit off of them and eventually you get enough money you start your own shop and then like like like, i like i joke around like torneco Talun is the only good capitalist in anything (laughs) (laughs) great um, because he takes his money and then he invests it in the world as well. Like there's this old man in a cave, and that's that the chapter ends where you're just like he's like, I wish I had sixty thousand gold to you know, uh branch off in like you make this uh tunnel into the other part of the world, and you just give him money. It's
1: like <laughs> you Torneco you- is beloved though. In fact, Torneco got a spin-off, which would eventually become the entire Mystery Dungeon series i
4: need to play that at some point i because again <laughs> i love for an he's great he's so cool um but like yes yeah, so you go through all of their chapters and like they're building the world in interesting ways they're all in different parts of the world some overlap which is really neat and you get to learn more about the world and then at chapter five you finally play as your hero and then it's your job to go to the different parts of the world and like collect your party up because you had like chapters one through four are essentially the tutorial and it's a really good tutorial it's setting it's honestly i'd say dragon quest 4 is one of the best first dragon quest games you can play i on it probably should be 11 XI, because 11 great but like it does a really good job for what it is as like you know a classic rpg of setting everything up in interesting ways and then paying off by you going to these areas you've already been to but collecting your party members, solving any of the, you know, the problems that were left unresolved by like, you know, their chapters and then going off and saving the world. It's so cool. And it's it's really risky, I'd say, for a game to do like a structure like that, because usually, you know, when you play an RPG, you want to play as your main character immediately and get into all that. But you don't get to do that for a while. You get to play as your party members. And I honestly haven't really seen any other
0: RPG ever do
4: that. I
0: swear, I I've think, heard that I think, like general premise before, but I can't like put a title to it. For well, you. I mean,
1: hmm? I mean, you mean you mean like the general structure? The first two arms the first two Wild Arms games sort of do that, where it's like you get three characters and you play like an individual story for each, all three of them first, and then they join up. Okay. Um, but uh, like, for example, though, like I think the character of like Elena would not work nearly as well if you never got a chance to like play as her story directly, sort of thing. Um, if you just met her as your hero, sort of thing, yeah. no,
4: like so. Just in general, I think that, like,
1: mm-hmm. that,
4: like, all of the characters in four are like, are kind of like that. Where if you had just met these people in traditional Dragon Quest style, the, the like, because the, I think the cast of Dragon Quest War is probably one of the strongest in the series. Because just because you actually get to play as all of your party members, and it's like, it's like if Octopath didn't suck, it's <laughs> like. Ooh. I, it's spicy. I know. I just, I hate how Octopath. Spicy.
0: <laughs>
4: Octopath. It, it, it made
0: some weird decisions that I think very were weird for the worst. Decisions that yeah. I don't
4: feel panned out. Honestly, Octopath does kind of do exactly what Dragon Quest IV does, but without all the charm. And it's. Just- well, it never takes
0: that second step. It just, it's, it's perpetually stuck in individual story mode it yeah doesn't ever like have that extra I, I
1: i i generally liked octopath but you kind of have to accept these are eight separate stories that are set in the same world there is no overlap between the stories yeah, no,
4: there's there's no coming together moment of octopath even mm. though you recruit other characters there's no moment where everybody that feeling of like realizing what the game is doing in chapter five is i think the coolest thing about it because it's not like the game is like this is the story this is how it's gonna play out like you start the game and the ds version at least there's like a little uh, prelude chapter where you do get to play as your hero and walk around your little town which is neat um the original version did not have that um but then immediately after you start like it it cuts away from the hero and you start seeing these stories about these weird people it's like what's going on who's this Ragnar guy who's Ragnar like what is who's Elena like what are what am I doing here but they're like the hero, he's on the box. I want to play as him, and or then, her. oh yeah, him or her, which is neat because um, I think three and four, three, four, like and nine. nine. I want to say, and I guess ten, but I, I, I want to get ten so bad. It really sucks that we haven't gotten ten. It looks really fun.
0: Maybe Microsoft will ring it over in 2020.
4: <laughs> oh god, oh that would buy that would get me to buy an Xbox. That would do it. <laughs> that would. I I I'm not an Xbox yeah. person.
1: In another reality, Microsoft localized Dragon Quest X instead of Fantasy Star online too.
4: You know what? I, I hate to say it because Fantasy Star 2 seems like a great game. That would be a better reality. <laughs> um, but so yeah, um being able to choose your gender is a neat thing that like you know, three, four, nine, and ten do. And it's like it doesn't add like crazy amounts, but it's cool that they have like unique little designs. And, I, like, I love
1: the the female character for her hair. Oh, it's great! I, it's so messy. I, it's awesome. It's yes. super nineties. Yep.
4: But I, I like. I don't. I just wasn't expecting such a good game from Dragon Quest Four because I feel like nobody ever talks about it. Like, it's it's weird. Because I think, I think probably overshadowed think, by five.
1: I think Liz loves four. Another uh, staff member.
4: <laughs> I, then I just
1: need to talk
0: about four. Yeah,
4: I need to talk to some people about four. Dragon Quest Four is really good
0: and i just uh adam you gotta make it the uh the header or the tweet or something for this cast and find some artwork for it give it the diligence it needs or the shout out it needs whatever word is the right word for that i
4: like and i guess I'll, i'll try to like wrap this up i apologize for talking so long um but it's like something like, I guess the reason why I'm so into Dragon Quest games right now in this part of my life is because obviously the world's not the best place. It's kind of on fire. And there's something <laughs> also literally on
1: fire. <laughs> literally
4: on fire. Metaphorically and like literally. <laughs> um, but like something about dragon quest games. I think Tim Rogers in his video one of his videos said it really well. It's like a Dragon Quest game is like a bedtime story, it's so comfy and like there's just like there's this wholesomeness to how these games are made there's this positive message on each game there's just this like this the vibe of dragon quest is so relaxing they're like comfort food rpgs and like it's like hey hey why don't you sit down right there and uh, you know cold outside get yourself a blanket you know you want some cocoa no, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna ease you I there. like how we have we
0: have comfort food RPGs and then we have like junk food RPGs and they're hard to oh, define, but we all know what those are. <laughs> definitely do. But it's it's like, why
4: don't you have a nice warm glass of cocoa? I'm Yuji Hori and I'm gonna tell you a story about the human condition. Yeah, you comfy? We're gonna have a good time here. It's great. Dragon Quest. I want you do an ASMR video. I I've been told many times that I should. And you know what? I'm thinking <laughs> about it whatever pays the bills seriously um but it's like dragon quest is a series made for like because and i was on stream yesterday and someone was saying like hey um i don't play rpgs uh why like like why would i want to play dragon quest like because dragon quest is a game like it's very rare to see rpgs made from people who understand exactly who their audience is like yuji hori is very aware of dragon Quest's stat, like i guess stature i don't know like it's it's standing as an rpg that anyone can play anybody could play a dragon quest game i'm pretty sure in japan every game is sarah a like and yeah. everybody does like old, like old people play dragon quest games kids play dragon quest games everybody plays dragon quest games and they know that so they always make them approachable for like any audience and i think that's what's like what a lot of people call Dragon Quest games like, like old fashioned to a detriment. When I and I don't think they're old fashioned in like how simple they are. They just do that so to make them more appealing to as wide of an audience as possible, while still not seem. It's not like Pokemon where they talk down to you, and they treat you like a dumb kid. Like it's ah, oh, Dragon Quest is good. That's it.
0: That's a nice. Uh, that's a good thesis. I'm on board. Yes, i'm I'm a, a, I'm a fake i'm a though. that's the name
1: of the podcast episode dragon quest it's good that's it <laughs> like,
0: Do it. I'll...
4: yeah hell yeah i don't know i love dragon quest when i come back in a couple of weeks i'll tell you about more dragon quest
0: our resident dragon quest uh
4: just check in i'm i'm do you, do you like i think i've talked about this before when 11s comes back out I am going to get that on every platform it is available on, and I kind of want to re like I want to have complete saves on all of them. Like I want a complete PC save, I want a complete PS f- four five save, whatever that is. And then if I somehow ever get my hands on an Xbox, I want to I want to just complete that <laughs> whole thing on there because Dragon Quest eleven is like stupid replayable. It's kind of nuts.
0: Anyway, and with that. In- uh who wants to follow that up?
3: So I don't think anyone can follow that up. Uh,
0: we'll just call will just call it there. We're done. Goodbye. Nah. I,
2: I can uh so. Um anyone here played Risk of Rain 2 at all? Was in early access for a couple of uh well for over a year. Can
1: I can I just uh admit I have no idea what Risk of Rain two is?
2: Um so Risk of Rain was uh, one of those um rogue uh, lights that released on PC and eventually got ported to console years ago. It was really popular. Um, it was one of those uh, rogue um, lights that uh, when Total Biscuit was still alive, he uh, covered it on, uh, I forget the name of that uh, um, series he did. Um, but, uh, yeah. So essentially the way it works is that you choose a character and... Um, Start off pretty basic, but as you get more uh, equipment, like it, things get crazy. And as it's everything's on a timer, so that the longer you're playing the game, the harder it gradually gets. And so it just gets crazier and crazier the uh, further along you get, and it's like very multiplayer focused. So the first one was like side-scrolling 2D and, um, two D, and two actually went for a third-person shooter style which was really interesting like um as someone that played a bunch of risk of rain one uh, i'll definitely say that risk of rain two i've been surprised with how well it managed to uh, make the jump to a 3d and it definitely seems like something that most people agree that it really made that jump surprisingly well
0: and uh, I don't know anything about this game either, but someone in another Discord was just doing like this, the screen share of it, and I was just watching it, and I'm like, I don't know much about this game, but I know that the first game was side scroller, and this game is more, you know, over the shoulder, not over the shoulder, but just traditional third person. And they're like, yeah, it's basically just the the first game, only now from a different perspective, but it's all translated just fine. Like they they had the same sentiment.
2: Yeah, it's impressive how well it made the jump. Definitely something I've noticed a bunch of people agree agree on um not much to say it came out of early access i think about a month ago now or maybe a few weeks ago maybe not quite a month ago now but um wasn't this
4: game given a physical
2: release like yes it has a physical release on switch i don't think the uh final updates out on switch yet but um
4: i, I just i want i'm sorry for like derailing this but like, it's kind of crazy that we've reached a point where early access games that aren't finished get physical releases. Like, I, I played a little bit of it. Um to be,
2: fair, to be fair, at least the Switch version of Versus Rain 2 also comes with Versus Rain 1 on the cartridge, yeah. I think. So, there's that.
4: Like, not to fault the quality, because I, I played, like, um when I was, like, bored at work during the beginning of COVID, like, I just pulled a copy out, like, the cartridge out, and I played a little bit. Um, and I, it was fun. It was really fun, but it is kind of weird that like I didn't know the game wasn't even finished.
2: Yeah, I'd say that even when it first came out in Early Access, it felt pretty good. But yeah, even though it wasn't, well, obviously wasn't finished when the game first released in Early Access, it still felt pretty good. It still felt like you were getting your money's worth even back then, and they just added more and more to it. Uh, and the game, now that it's finished, I'm, and I'm sure they're still probably going to add a few things here and there, just because of how well the game is done. Like it's sold several million copies right now. I think. So. I think, or at least it was like one and a half million. Like I'm just going to quickly double check. Uh, we're straight to sales because <laughs> I know it sold a bunch. Um, it sold one million in its first month. So. <laughs> Definitely has sold several million by now because that was over a year ago. Uh, But yeah, fun game. It still has
0: twenty thousand people playing it right now on Steam. It's one of those like PC games where it's like it kind of has a quietly large community where it's just like, man, a lot of people still like are really into this, and you just kind of it doesn't kind of filter away from there
2: sometimes. It's also kind of crazy because a successful Risk of Rain two run is going to be over an hour long, so you. Have to sit down and kind of dedicate yourself to playing it just because each individual run can go for a long time. And there's a lot that can go wrong, and it's like gets really hectic at the end. And obviously, since it is a roguelite, there's RNG to like how each run's going to feel, even if the base like maps are the same. Like some of the enemies that can spawn might be a bit different. And of course, the items you get will be different. Like, you might get lucky, you might get unlucky, and then just because of, like, the the, trage- um, the the way the trajectory of each run can change based off of the different weapons you get and how you have to kind of change your playstyle, it's very fun, infinite, it's super replayable. I mean, the first one was already super popular, like, and it did eventually get ported to, like, PS4 and Vita and eventually Switch, obviously, um down the line, but uh it, absolutely feels like 2 has uh, taken that a step beyond. And uh, I, I'm sure at least part of that has to do with the fact that it made a successful jump to 3D, like a very successful jump. Like I've seen people say that they feel like it's probably one of the best uh, jumps from 2D to 3D since like Mario 64. And I think that's not an exaggeration because I, I remember when they first teased this uh, um, um, Risk of Rain 2 and it was in 3D. I wasn't sure how it was going to work out. And when they first showed it, it was like people really weren't feeling it. But then once the early access came out it and people actually started playing, it's like, wow, they actually managed to do it. It feels like Risk of Rain, but in 3D. Which... Uh,
0: so I have the Steam page up right now and I'm just kind of looking at some of the details. But I guess uh, you might have already stated this, but I'm just restating it because I had missed it the first time. But uh, this release this had it basically, it's 1.0 out of early access release on August 11th. So, and there's like a ton of people on Steam that were like really excited for it apparently. So like, kind of a quiet build up for a game that I kind of just out of my purview, so I didn't really like pay attention to it.
2: I feel like I should stress that the fact that the game has an overwhelmingly positive uh, reviews, like user review score on Steam, that's not normal especially for a game that has so many reviews like the threshold for hitting overwhelmingly positive is something insane so the fact that so
0: obviously steam reviews you have to there's there's certain conditions where you have to kind of like throw them out like you can't really pay too much attention to them but if it says overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative which i think one of the nba games did that or something like that you're like oh wow like that's that's remarkable Sorry, I was just chiming in and saying like, yes, that's a very rare threshold to hit in either direction.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to see like if what the most recent like uh, information for how much it's sold, because I know that sold like several million. I think it was like maybe five million, but don't quote me on that. But regardless, it's done very well, at least part of the reason why it's done really well. They were really smart with early access. Because the first thing they did is, like, I think the first week, if you bought into Early Access, you would get an extra copy that you could give to a friend. Which, for a predominantly uh, co-op-focused game, that was incredibly smart. Especially since people were inherently going to be a bit, uh, I I guess, cautious about a jump to 3D. Because that's such a hard thing to get right. So, um, that was smart. And they've done a great job of updating this over time because, like, one of the most recent additions they added were these uh, scrap machines. And one of the first things they had um, when they first released the Center Only Access were these um, machines that would let you exchange what, uh, well an item of one rarity for another one. So you could just spam it to get... If, like, you found a machine had an item that you really wanted multiple stacks of, you could just, like drop a random item in and get that one back. Well, what they did is they have these scrap machines that if you find them, you can choose a specific item that you want to put into there, and you'll get a scrap material of that rarity. And whenever you find a... um, I guess people call them 3D printers for specific uh, rarity items. If you have scrap, it'll automatically just take it from your scrap first. So it's kind of a way of... like. Even if you're not sure if you're, going to want, if you're going to run into a 3D printer for something you want, it might be a smart idea for you to kind of get rid of items that you don't want ahead of time just so you know if you do run into one, you'll be able to take advantage of it without having the chance of losing an item of that rarity that you actually want to keep and stuff like that. And then there's a lot more secrets in the game versus, like, in the first one. Like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in, like, just gameplay design. Like, there's a bunch of, like, side maps that have their own kind of unique gameplay loops to them. Like, there's this one side map that's almost like a tower defense. And then there's also a few where you... Uh, it's like a horde mode, and you have to survive for long enough to unlock a difficulty modifier like that you can set at the start of each run and stuff like that. It it's just like really full fledged now. It feels really great. Feature complete. Uh, yeah, so definitely an example of early access uh, done right.
0: Hopefully we see the same with uh Warbird Skate 3 early yeah. later this month. Well, yeah, we you can problem. see you can see where my mindset is on that sort of stuff.
2: It'll probably be good because, like, both DaVinci Original Sin 1 and 2 were early access and turned out well.
0: Right, so. Yeah, they they know what they're doing. But yeah, Risk of Rain uh, released 1.0 earlier this month. So, seems to have really, really, really good word of mouth. All right. Uh, I guess George is the last one to really haven't had a chance to really talk about what he's been playing. Uh, last week, you obviously had a lot to say about Avengers, which you had just. Uh, I think you had basically finished playing for review, but you didn't have your review published yet. So now it is. We have the review for Avengers up on the site. I don't know if you had any like further thoughts
3: since what you had shared last week. Uh, it's mostly the same sort of thoughts I had last week. I finally sort of came to terms on a score and I went with a seven, um, with bearing in mind that I think the game is going to get better I think there's a lot of potential sort of hidden under I think it's got a lot to fix um and there are times I'm like oh god but then I do still really enjoy the base gameplay so I can I can sort of just zone out play it just plays Captain America uh play a couple of hours of that and I don't really have many games like that I think calling it an, an RPG we, we sort of discussed in the past is like wishy-washy sometimes but it would kind of apply to junk food RPG <laughs> like I, I literally just, like, skip between missions. Uh, Playing Captain America, I don't really think about any of it. Um, I am sort of now a, a content wall, so there are, like, some really high-level missions to do and stuff to take on, and I guess I could, like, grind out for some of the harder-to-get loot. Uh, But I don't really want to now. I've sort of reached the point where I'm, like, besides the skins that I really do want to get, because some of them are really cool, there's not much keeping me here it's the idea that the upcoming expansions with uh hawkeye and then black panther and spider-man that actually really excites me that is something to look forward to um but yeah i've been i've been cleaning up on that a bit um i've also been playing a lot of the tony hawk remake in my spare time which has stat points so it's technically an rpg oh, i yeah. could talk about it does it have damage orders
0: <laughs> When you, when you fall and hit the turf, do you, uh, do you see numbers over here?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, oh. That is fantastic. Now, I have to if ask it wasn't for... Did you play the original Tony Hawk one or two? Actually, uh, my main experience with the Tony Hawk games was this uh, Disney skate adventure <gasps> spin off oh, game. Yes. Oh my God, me too. Yeah, that's that's literally because I, I was a I was a dumb kid and I was just like, oh, I played it? that as well. It was a, <laughs> a
2: random comment, but uh, you know how there's like the school maps in Tony Hawk Pro Skater one and two. Um, mm. one of the school maps actually features an area that was modeled directly after a section of uh, Carlsbad High School, the high school I went to. Because really? the- oh wow. Gap was a uh, famous skating location. No longer exists, oh, that's cool. but um it for a long time like it was an honest to god like icon in skating and uh, it was even so popular than that like one Simpsons episode where Bart was getting rolling really in skating he did to, he did the Carlsbad Gap.
3: Try <laughs> huh. I'm trying to think of probably school too is the one I'm sort of thinking of. Um but it is Excellent. I'd heard so many good things about Tony Hawk. uh, And from playing that Disney skate adventure, I was like, wow, uh, I enjoyed that as a kid. I might enjoy this. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on board with any Tony Hawk game that comes out. I want them to remake three, four, underground, then do something new.
4: What about five? Yeah.
3: Oh, five. Yeah. And five. I said, right. (laughs)
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Give me more Tony Hawk. Uh, Again, (laughs) with that. Is, is five good
4: yeah it's the best
3: oh no no five is the awful one i know <laughs> it is. i was thinking i was like okay the the good era of tony hawk games was one to four right and then it was like a underground And i was like did they do five on the ps1 i've just missed it like yeah.
2: no as well it wasn't until i'd say like the ps3 360 games that it really started kind of going downhill
3: yeah well, that's the problem when Sheesh, when those games came out. The, uh, I just checked the
1: meta score for Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. I, I, you know, meta score, whatever, but just to get like a fairly broad overview. Based on 43 critics, so a fair number, it has a meta score of 32. Like,
0: holy cow,
3: that is <laughs> bad. It
0: was, it'd be
1: overwhelming uh, yeah, remake that one.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> I probably. The, the, the thing is with Tony Hawk was that when I was grown up enough to sort of hit my, oh, yeah, uh, rock music and Rebellion, phase i was sort of like nine years old it was when skate one and two 2- <laughs> 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 It was when skate one and two were coming out and that was the big thing um and no it was skate three yeah skate three and that was out and everyone used to play that so tony hawk was just this sort of like old school series that people would like talk about but Oh look at Skate! It's like new and hip and whatever. So I never, I never really played them, and now I, I just don't think I could go back to Skate. Like Tony Hawk is just like a whole other level for there,
0: me. Aren't there rumors or something of Skate returning in some? Fashion. Yeah, they
3: announced- they've confirmed that.
2: Yeah, it's Obviously. it's not a rumor. They they outright announced that it's coming back now.
3: Yeah, it's like really early in development though. I think they just they just gave it, was- it and they're like fine.
1: It was a weird announcement because they basically just brought like the two developer, like the two key people behind the series, onto like that EA stream, and they're basically like, "Skate is back," but that was basically it. Like, they didn't have anything to show. They're just like, "Yeah, we're we're doing Skate." Like, to okay. be
2: fair, uh, didn't they do something similar with like Jedi Fall in Order, where they announced the name E yes. three twenty eighteen was yeah. out, and now
1: they announced Jedi Fall in Order by name by like. On the one of the Jedi EA streams, they interviewed, they interviewed like, Vince Ampella, like, in the in the seats of, like, the EA E3 showcase. Like, he was literally, like, the audience, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's called uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And, like, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, the, reason, very people-
2: ago, the reason I mentioned that, though, is that it was there was only, like, a less than a year and a half gap between them announcing the name and it being out. So, I mean, that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it's just starting development, because EA... Was weird with
0: that. Who, who knows? It's it. This is a, this is a tangent, but I feel like I have to bring it up. Like like the the, the whole original pitch for that from that weird Ben Tempela in the chairs uh, announcement was like it's about the dark side of the Jedi and the, the dark times, and it was just like this super like nebulous wobb- wobbly. Like oh. I can't get on board with this. <laughs> just letting the they world had nothing. With you. <laughs> <laughs> it was very yeah. weird. Anyway, Skate—it's
3: coming back too, so we'll have we'll have another yeah, RPGs like uh, Skateboarding. (laughs) Yeah, but Tony Hawk, uh, as close to my game of the year as it possibly can get at the moment. I'd say Last of Us is still up there because that might be one of my favorite games of all time, but it's like it's second at the moment. Uh, I I I could only think like maybe Kingdom Hearts or Splunky Two might overtake that. So yeah. Play, play Tony Hawk and play Avengers too, I guess.
0: All right. Uh, Adam, did you want to follow up and we, we circle back around to your last thing or maybe save it for next week? Yeah. I don't know.
1: I'll just, I'll, I'll just mention it now because it shouldn't take too long. I played the new DLC for The Outer Worlds. It's called Peril on Gorgon. Um, and I wrote a review for it for the site. And basically, it's sort of exactly what you would expect. Well, Brian, what would you expect?
0: Uh, I would expect this to be like a six to seven hour expansion that's just more of the same, and then it's self-contained, so it feels like a filler arc in anime, and you go through it and nothing, it's like, all right, that was something.
1: Yeah, that's basically it. It's like, the, 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 the DLC expansion is fine. What you do is you basically, it's set, if you played The Outer Worlds, it's set after the Monarch Planet storyline, but before like the point of no return, so, so to speak. At the end of the game so it's kind of like here's another dlc like another storyline you can do before you do like the end game stuff just to get an idea of like where it is and like the, the enemy balance and whatnot and you get a message sent to your ship like a package and it basically uh it points you in direction to this gorgon asteroid where experiments were being held of some sort you don't know what you meet a woman who is like the daughter of a scientist basically saying I need you to investigate what happened here. I need you to find a journal. And then you go to the Gorgon asteroid. And basically it's like a new map, a new zone. And just kind of like any other zone in the, in the, in the game. And you go to different locations, different little dungeon areas and sort of figure out what happened. But it's exactly what you said. It's like this six, seven hour deal and it's the storyline that kind of touches on the same sort of themes in the main game which is sort of this like corporate profits trump human values or whatever and so it's kind of got like, the same sort of style and tone and themes that you would expect and gameplay it's it raises the level cap by 3 so you can kind of get more stat points you you get, you get the same sorts of weapons that have better numbers <laughs> that you can do there are a few new science weapons Science weapons in this game are kind of like these unique weapons that do unique things that you can pl- play with, to be honest. I don't, I don't really like using them, so I didn't.
2: Uh, here's a question. So is this map like taking up one of the slots that was kind of teased somewhat on the uh, world... Well, not really world map, but you know what I mean, like the solar system map um, in the base game? Because there's like a few locations that showed up... Really <laughs>
1: So, I'm trying to remember, the Gorgon Asteroid actually is not, It just it's a new location on the map, uh, but you do ultimately end up going to a base on around the planet Olympus too, and I don't think you go to Olympus at all in the original yeah, game.
2: I want to say that Olympus was actually one of those uh, Yeah. too. So
1: I, got- I think Olympus is like a gas giant planet, so it's not like a type of planet yeah. you can land on, but you go to a base that's like in a station around Olympus, I think. It wasn't very clear exactly where the base was, but it was in the Olympus part. So like you actually click on that on the map and go there now.
2: Yeah. I was just curious because it seemed like when I was playing through it um, earlier, I think it was actually this year I played. uh, Well, anyways, I just, it stood out to me that there was a few locations that were kind of grayed out, if you will. And it felt ripe for uh, locations that you might go to in the DLC. So yeah, it's like that is the case. And maybe we can expect some of those other
3: locations for the, yeah.
1: Upper DLC. Yeah, there's going to be two, and this is the first one. Go ahead.
3: Can I just say, it's like I would have said that I'm probably the most positive on the Outer Worlds out of the five of us. Like we've talked about in the past, and I really, really enjoyed it. But the prospect of the DLC just sort of being more of the same, like really does nothing for me. And I like the Outer Worlds. I just, uh, there was a lot of room for improvement. I think a full sequel could do really well, but not DLC. I feel like doing DLC that's a side story before the
0: events of the game finish is a very tricky proposition. Though I do think that Obsidian has already done it well with like, sorry, I have to do this, um, Fallout New Vegas, because they introduce the, these stories that take you to different locations that are very different from the desert in the original in the base game of that. They introduce some really compelling characters like Joshua Graham and The Honest Hearts, or you go to like I forget if it's like a moon base or something with the uh, computers in uh, Old World Blues, old, something like that. Like they do some really interesting stuff despite none of that being, like it's all just kind of s- um, slide in right before the ending. Like it's the same th- format. It fits in the same way, but I feel like those things have something for them that make them compelling because otherwise in general, I'm much more interested in kind of like the uh, the Brotherhood of Steel uh dlc to fallout 3 or the uh what they did with witcher 3 with blood and wine where it's past the i feel like it's that's an easier sell i think is to have it past the events of the original game because it's kind of like here's more of like but it's you don't have to like unlearn or unthink about how the game wraps up or how it finishes it's just kind of like expanded on the end rather than slotted into the center
1: It was kind of odd for me to like, all right, I want to play this DLC. Now I got to like go through my save files and like, all right, I have a couple of save files that are in like the point of no return area. Like, okay, I can't, I can't load those saves because I can't go back. And all right, here's my save file. That is like right before I make that decision, that like final decision that you make. So I guess that's the farthest one I can click. So I use that one and then kind of the usual, like I haven't played this game in nine months or more. And I need to kind of remember what my character build was, like, what are my weapons that I'm using? How to play. What are my, what, yeah, how do I play the game? What, which party members was I, did I like prep up properly and not or not? And like so it did, there was like a good, you know 30 minutes like, all right, you got to remember what I'm yeah. doing, and how, how do I, how do I access the map again? Oh, yeah, menu, slide over twice, and there's the map sort of thing. But I will say just this the this, this story content in this in this in this DLC itself is not it's okay. It's basically like a mystery. So your your incentive to play through it is to figure out something that happened. Who done it? But it's yeah, it's a whodunit, basically. But it's it actually sort of disappointed me in the end. The it ultimate, not to spoil anything, if anyone cares, but it kind of comes down to like this A or B decision you have to make, sort of thing, kind of like some of the other storylines in the game. But I felt like it wasn't a very interesting decision. Like one of the One of the options seemed like this is the obvious good option that we should do. And the other option is like, this is sort of the chaotic option. Like, this really doesn't make sense, but we can do it if we just want to, you know, if we're just curious about what could possibly go wrong. (laughs) And then you can pick, like, a compromise option between the two. So it's like, I did that. I actually was able to do the compromise option. And then at the end, it's just kind of like, yeah, you did it. And that's it. (laughs) Because then you go back to the
0: base game where it can't reference that directly.
1: Right. Um, and well, you actually, get this is like not an important thing at all, but like the final reward that you get for doing the DLC, like the final thing that you're given if you get the compromise ending is like here's some money for your trouble. Like yeah, I got five thousand bits. I already had like a hundred and five thousand bits already, uh, so like this is nothing.
0: Ooh, <laughs> the pocketing. thing is, is that 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 format of DLC, I don't want to like lambast it wholly because it can work. And just one example, just now that I just thought of is when I played through the Frozen Wilds just a week, two weeks ago. Because oh, you the criticized Frozen the Wilds,
1: for the same reason, basically. Yeah,
0: but but it did do a couple interesting things. Where the Frozen Wilds, you can kind of do at any point before the point of return. But if you do it sort of early, and then I forget this very, I forget the specific region you're at. But when you're in the the uh, one of the old world bases in the, the third part of the main story, I forget what they're called because they kind of have generic names, but like the events of the Frozen Wilds are referenced because you start to learn about the different subsystems underneath Gaia and the Frozen Wilds kind of like centers across one of them. And then like- What's the, the name game, is- uh, the Festus is it? Yeah. It's one of the Greek gods. Yeah. They, they, they use they all the Greek for- gods
1: names, but they kind of mix, they kind of mix <laughs> blend but, in my
0: memory. Yeah. So you learn a lot about one of them in the frozen wilds and then you go do the main story, which was created before then, but they start, they actually have just a couple of lines of dialogue to kind of do it justice and be like, we know that you saw this. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen. We're going to smartly integrate this back into the main story and be like, okay, this actually feels organically tethered in. So um, long story short, and and then the New Vegas example from earlier. I think the, the slot in before the ending DLC style can work, but it just has to be done carefully. It has to have like a specific hook that engages you. If it just feels like a six hour side quest that could have been in the game initially and has no impact, then it, that's an easy, I think it's, it's easy to kind of end up there and wish there was more.
1: Yeah. I have two things to say. One, this DLC, what tries to set it apart kind of by design is that this asteroid you go to is largely abandoned. There is like one area of the asteroid where people sort of hang out that's sort of like your hub if you will. It's it's very small. It's like there's a shopkeeper, a bar and like two different NPCs that give side quests or something like that and they're very very simple side quests. But most of this asteroid by design is like abandoned by NPCs. There are marauders that are there to fight you and things like that and monsters, and dungeon areas that have, like, robots and whatnot. But what I'm getting at is is there's not a lot of, besides, like, some in, in, initial premise, there's not a lot of, like, questing or dialogue. It's mostly just exploring and fighting. It's a little bit lopsided in that regard, which I sort of, that probably also makes sense on, like, a budget standpoint, too. Where it's like they didn't have, they didn't create dialogue and quests. It's probably easier for them just to create rooms and enemies and loot rather than, quests and things like that for the dlc and it is by design but it does feel a little bit lonely because you're just sort of just well, that, that can be okay like interact. that's
0: that that sounds what you described like there it sounds like the perfect metroid game to me <laughs> it's just that I don't. yeah like actually it metroid actually did
1: percent. give me some metroid vibes actually like specifically like this sort of is sort of metroidish um and you're like going through logs to figure out what happened i will say that um one thing that is nice that they did and i actually asked um the director at obsidian about this a couple of months ago or so is that your companion characters have plenty to say that is new. I, I'm always kind of worried of something like this. that like, like they didn't get the voice actors back. So they're just either going to repeat themselves or not say anything at all, but that's not the case. Your NPC allies do have quite a bit to say. So that's nice. So uh, it they, feels like they, at least they go
0: that far. Yeah. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
1: But the ultimate conclusion to it is a little bit just kind of, didn't really grab me. I will say that this. the second thing I was going to say, number two, was I think this DLC would be totally fine if you haven't played The Outer Worlds yet and you kind of get to the point where you, you've done the rest of the story and you've beaten the Monarch part of the story. And then like this quest comes up if you own the DLC. And it's like, you might as well do it at that point, right? It's kind of where it slots in. And at that point, it just feels like more of the rest of the game, right? It's just more game. It's just the, the prospect of like, you've, I've already beaten the game. I've gotten my fill. And I, I want to like go back to it, pay $15 more just to access this additional quest now, just like, I don't think on its own, in a vacuum, is that interesting. Like, as part of the rest of the game, it's fine. But just kind of like this standalone story, not so much. It's just kind of, it's okay.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm with George where I'm just like, maybe I'll think about it again when the second one comes out and I'll just blitz and pull through or something like that. Especially if the second Mm -hmm. one kind of seems to land more strongly.
1: I don't don't, Again, I don't want to say it's bad. It's just kind of like, if you really couldn't get more of the outer worlds and want to do like an additional six-hour quest thing, that's kind of like more, just more. Then it's good. That's the way, that's basically what it is. It's just not much more than that.
0: It's not. Yeah, it's not a reason to <laughs> return to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm I have a review for up. I'll up, keep it, it oh. really. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we do have a review up for Gorgon on the site. So that's four reviews. We have Moon, Avengers, Gorgon, Amulet, and Star Renegades. So five. Yeah. I can count all up on the website. Um, I will not take up pretty much any time. I'll just introduce this. Uh, I've been starting to play Fallout 2. Uh, a couple months ago, I played Fallout 1. And even though, obviously, there's a big kind of shift to try to play a game that was made in the late 90s on PC, uh, I, I've playing Fallout 1 kind of acclimated, acclimated me to that. And now I took a, a couple months off, and now I'm into 2. Uh I'm only about like 10 hours into it and it's like a 50 hour game. So I think I'll just kind of table it and come back to it next week to see when I have more final thoughts on it. Uh, I'm enjoying it under the caveat that I know I'm playing an older game that doesn't have all the quality of life that you would expect on a new release, et cetera, et cetera. I'll go into more detail next week. Cool. All right. So that was 100 minutes of a bunch of different RPGs and Tony Hawk. Woohoo! So, uh, which I'm okay with because on the specific, like, topical front for the week, there really isn't a whole lot. We've got, like, four things listed here, and two of them are kind of just, like, dates and prices for consoles, or one of them is dates and prices and one of them is an announcement. I'll just go ahead and talk about those first, I guess, since I've already brought them up. So, late last weekend, early this week, uh, we had a weird leak followed by official announcement of the Xbox Series S which was long known about, but not like we didn't know any details about it. And then we got the price for that. The date for it is uh, November 10th. The Xbox Series S will launch at $299 as a digital system. And the Xbox Series X, which we all kind of knew about from the announcement earlier this year, uh, will be $499 on the same date. And then alongside these announcements, some games that we knew were coming out for the system Assassin's Creed Valhalla has shifted its release dates up from November 17th and November 10th to launch alongside. And same with Yakuza, which was leaked, then announced as a November 13th release. This is Like a Dragon, by the way. Yakuza Like a Dragon will also release on November 10th alongside the new Xboxes. Well, the
1: Yakuza thing is actually a little bit weird. They specifically announced that the Xbox Series SNX version of Yakuza 0, or not Yakuza 0, Yakuza Like a Dragon, is releasing on November 10th, but they did not specifically say that the other versions were also coming out on November 10th, and I emailed them, and I know some other websites did too, just basically just to, just to try to get it confirmed, like, hey, are the, is the PlayStation 4 Xbox One and PC date moving up as well. You think it's just an easy yes or no question, but they actually sort of sidestepped it. And like, we'll actually talk about those later. It's like, oh, huh. okay. So, so, so don't like a I don't know if there's like a marketing. I don't know if there's like a marketing thing getting in the way, but as of now, the Xbox Series version of Yakuza Like a Dragon comes out on November 10th, and the other ones are confirmed for no- November 13th, so just a few days later. But that's where okay. it's standing right now
2: have a weird thing where the Microsoft platforms get it three days early, so maybe on PC, like, it'll actually be, if you buy it on the Windows Store, you get it three days early or something. Not it's worth Yeah.
3: <laughs> Remember when games used to have just, like, a release date? Remember ship dates?
1: I don't think George was even alive when games had ship dates.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, George, like, I wasn't even really... <laughs> old enough to know this but it used to be there would just be ship dates and it's like whenever the stores get them they sell them (laughs) I I think it was probably
1: it was actually probably more of a thing in the US just being a bigger country too than the UK where like basically what it would be like is the ship date for this game is July 10 or whatever that means we're going to send this game to stores on July 10 but you know if you live like in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest they might not get it until July 14th and then they can sell it sort of thing um, no, they would not get it yeah so it was like certain people would get the game earlier than others depending on where they lived they were it was called ship dates because that's like when they were shipped but you don't really see that anymore at all but i, I don't think that that might have not been a thing at all in the uk just being a much smaller country i'm assuming it's just a lot quicker to get stuff to all stores maybe anyways that's a tangent
0: but yeah we have all, all the xbox details um the leak ended up being kind of really weird because it's, it I felt like uh what was the name of the guy who originally posted it? I didn't It was didn't a guy, guy for, already. like It was
1: it was one of the uh it was one of the uh Windows Xbox related like news YouTube-ers? blogs. I no, it was it, like, oh, it's, right. like it's it was like the uh, a...
3: I think it was Windows Insider. I'm not
4: Yeah, I figured it was like an insider who maybe like Appar- it, really. Apparently,
3: the uh, like the
1: like the announcement broadcast for the Xbox Series S was posted online somewhere or part of it, and then some Xbox-related YouTubers kind of were able to get enough to just showed like, here's what the Series S looks like, and here's when it's releasing, and
0: here's the price. Um, so it was like a late, it was like middle of the night on Monday or whatever. Xbox is like, uh, oh, yeah. here it is. Oh, here's
2: the I, yeah, basically, what happened is is that parts of the video were deliberately leaked. So funnily enough, the official Xbox Twitter account, like as this is blowing up on Twitter and whatnot, just posts that one side-eye monkey puppet meme, the one <laughs> where, like, where it's like very concerned, looking at, like kind of <laughs> like, like, backwards. Shit. Yeah. It's just like dead pan. And they just posted that, no comment. And then like, 10 15 minutes later, they said, Let's make this official.
3: That was perfect. Like, perfect way to just be human and handle like a leak. But
1: but do you think the leak was intentional? It's like, This is how they wanted to announce it? I don't
3: think it was.
4: There's a greater than 0% chance it was, is all I'll say. But I'm a cynical piece of shit.
3: They wouldn't have done
2: it. And if they really wanted to. To have the leak be intentional, they would have done it in the middle of the day. It wouldn't have been at midnight, and they wouldn't have confirmed. Yeah. That's what this they want.
4: Is, this is a this <laughs> is a backhanded yeah, I'm, I'm compliment. Like, that that is what they'd want you to think because you know <laughs> all, what did the leak do but give them good publicity, like
0: yeah, this is a backhanded compliment. But like I feel like Microsoft marketing sometimes, or maybe one sometimes, doesn't quite land very well. And I feel like a more straightforward, like in the in the style of their like Inside Xbox, would have been like a wet fart. This actually ended up, whether it was intentional or not, being pretty, a pretty solid way to reveal it. So oh. everything worked out in the end, I feel like. But anyways, uh, what do we know? The Xbox Series
1: X is $300. The Xbox Series X is $500 in US serious? dollars. Uh, and they're both playing next-gen games, but the Xbox Series X is basically if you want to play next-gen games at like 1080p. So the S is, yeah.
4: I I love these horrible names for these consoles. It's so good.
1: And then the X is playing next-gen games at 4K, so it's it's kind of a weird... like.
2: Because Adam keeps saying Series X. The Series S is targeting 1440p or 1080p. doesn't have a disk drive. It's $300. The Series X is $500. It's the one that Microsoft first revealed and has been talking about nonstop.
1: I meant to say S. Maybe it just sounds like I'm saying X. That's well, I, that's one this thing. Is is the two, really the two letters
0: sound like the same. Yeah. No, like, this is going to be
4: great for people like me who work retail, and I'm going to have to deal with this shit for like. This is going to be like a two-minute conversation. Like, I want the series. This is. i was like, what? You want the X? You want the yes. S? Yeah, I want the S. What? What the- do you? What do you want? Do you know the difference between them? the the S. uh, Yeah, the S is the one of the disk drive. No, that's the X. The S. The X. The like fucking hell. Like I'm okay (laughs) with the
0: idea of just having a letter based code, but could you pick two different letters? Don't make them sound the same.
4: (laughs) Oh man, it's. I had the same issue like for the past two years with like Xbox like customers. You know, between the Xbox One S and X, and the fact that you have to explain (laughs) this to them and they don't get it because they Microsoft makes this so goddamn confusing
0: like they could have just called it like series L for like light or whatever you want to call it. And there at least there. And you've solved one of those small little problems pushed aside. Uh, yeah. and here's, here's the can of worms that I'm obligated to open. How do we feel about the series S being, uh, just, and with, without a better clear way of, state of stating it, a four teraflop machine or whatever. I know teraflops aren't everything, but how do we feel about its, its I feel like as it as a lower spec console?
4: Uh, I you the, the yourself in the last-gen system as a next-gen system? I think it's hilarious.
2: I think it's actually fine. Well, with a caveat. I feel like it n- needed to have more RAM. And I've noticed a few developers, at least, chiming in on Twitter saying that the amount of RAM, the disparity of the RAM between the Series S and the Series X, is concerning because developers were already having issues trying to cram like, stuff into the 8 gigabytes of RAM on uh, base uh, last gen, and the fact that the Series S, which is supposed to be an next-gen system, only has 2 gigabytes more, is definitely going to be a bottleneck. And we've even seen it with uh, these weird caveats where most people were assuming that the Series S was going to have the same backwards compatibility modes as the Xbox One X, but because the Xbox 1X technically has two more gigabytes of RAM, they can't say for sure, well, they've outright said we're not even going to try to have it run the the Xbox One X. Um, versions yeah. of I, I like
0: how much effort we have to put in yeah, our enunciation here. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the fact that the output resolution is limited gives them some margin. You're not going to need as much video RAM if you're only outputting, not at 4K. Yeah. But the fact that the current Xboxes are also not really 4K machines, I guess 1X is in a bit. Yeah. Uh, the Terraform
2: they... is fine. If you're going for 1080p or 1440p with next-gen like games, the fact that the baseline has shifted way closer to 4K, that's fine. I feel like it needed two more gigabytes of RAM. I understand that they're definitely already selling it at a loss. Like, the class of SSD that's in the system, even though it's only a 512 gigabyte one, is probably closer to, like, uh, like a $120 alone. And then there's the CPU, which is the same as the Series X, which is close to a Ryzen 7 thir- um, 3700X, which is a $300 CPU, not counting the power supply, not counting the GPU, not counting the motherboard, like... It's obvious that they're selling this thing at a, rele- a rather significant loss. So basically, is the summary based... Go ahead, Colin. Oh,
0: oh No, for
4: context, just for people know, know, um, from what I've heard, almost every single system is always sold at a loss. This is probably sold more at a loss than usual.
0: Yeah, I think Nintendo is the only company that tries not to sell at a loss, but then that ends up kind of biting them sometimes when they release the 3DS, kind of underpowered yeah. it for $250 or whatever it was.
2: Um, yes, maybe... I think
4: that. Oh,
0: go ahead. So,
2: yeah, basically, my feelings just again the teraflops. The GPU is fine. It's just I'm not sure how well the RAM is going to go over with developers because we've seen people already, like folks from id Software, like a couple of the technical engineers from It Software, like not just one, like a few, and then other developers saying that the amount of RAM that the Series S has is going to hold back next generation games. So basically, G-
0: is is the is the three hundred thousand feet summary. Basically, obviously, the CPU is fine because it's on par with all the other ones. The yeah. SSD is small, but that's understandable considering the price target. The GPU is underpowered, but it's okay because they're not targeting four K, so it'll be fine. But the RAM is the one that you can't really substantiate yes. being fine. It's the one yes. that's the one bugbear. Right. Yeah
4: i've been joking around lately and i know this isn't accurate but still it's like i like to imagine that like microsoft had like warehouses full of unbought xbox ads and they were just like hey wait a second we could just repackage these as a next-gen system for a bit more money oh wow because on it just seems like the series s is just somewhere in between the xbox one sad in power and the xbox one x and it just
2: in every metric except for ram it is absolutely stronger than the one x i i just i don't know
4: like i just i I already don't like the idea of all digital systems so like that already is gonna make it kind of like a like just something i'm not interested in but it just seems like they they tried too hard to get the we're gonna make it really cheap and get Sony right there. Yeah. Where and by doing that, they're having like an underpowered system that it just doesn't seem like I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a great system. I don't know. I don't well, have it. But my my final two
0: them. comments on this are uh I was probably I might get a one X just kind of to, without a more elegant way of stating it for shits and giggles like why not it looks kind of like i like the i kind of like the hardware like i, I don't know if you've seen any of the teardowns i think linus did one linus tech tips and the one x you might you know like the design or hate it it looks like uh, really well engineered or smartly
2: just, made just, just to be sure that we're so you mean the generation x do you mean, Xbox, do you mean right? the series x or yes, the one do
0: and that was not oh. intentional so you can kind of see where we're doing this uh like I know the difference. If you ask me to list them out, but I just the wrong word came out of my mouth.
2: Yeah, no. Series X. I actually really like the design of. It looks like when when people first saw the tower kind of design for it, they kind of like made jokes about it. But especially compared to the way that the PlayStation Five looks, I think the Series X looks good. I feel like obviously it's going to depend on your entertainment system on how easily it'll be to fit into your. But just from a visual standpoint and from a practicality standpoint, it looks like it'll fit in pretty well for it it just looks nice. It looks clean. it doesn't look like it has a tumor like the p s five that i that I'm actually going to buy has, because yeah. yeah
4: i'm uh, but... i'm I'm honestly considering buy like trying to find a really cheap Xbox One X, not a Series X. <laughs> like. Well, oh, yeah,
2: uh, cool. You have a PC that's like on par with a Series X. You don't really need. Well, no,
4: no, for for Dragon Quest, obviously. I, yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I got to play my copy of
1: 11S on Xbox, of course. Even but, though like, you can buy it on PC, like I wanted an Xbox, I can get. He wants
4: Xbox to
0: get that, uh, that uh, one thousand gamer I, score.
4: I I want I I just I want to play it on each console. I just want to look. Colin Colin
0: will have an Xbox account or whatever, and the only achievement points he'll have will just be like Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest, whatever
4: <laughs> Xbox's version of a platinum, I'll have that it doesn't Um, happen (laughs) but i'm not i'm not spending like stupid amounts of money on this so which is why i'm like i'm probably not going to do it but like if i can ever find one for cheap i'm probably just gonna like see if i can nab that up but i'm not like i'm i've never really been an xbox person i was 360 person and then once i became into like jrpgs i realized that xbox had nothing for me so i've been like everything else but xbox for like i want to say like seven years now So, this doesn't do much for me. Uh, It sucks. I
1: I just go wherever the games are. Like, I bought an Xbox 360 when it first launched, when it had stuff like Tales of Vesperia and... Lost Odyssey and Blue Dragon, Infinity and Discovery. even Star, yeah, even like Star <laughs> Ocean and things like that. Even though some of those games weren't very good, it's just like, hey, you can't get these games anywhere else right now, so I'll I will buy one. But the weird games. thing is, but-
0: is that like Xbox is 100 percent okay with that. If you buy gears of War Eight or whatever on Steam, they're like, okay, good, thank you. <laughs> like like yeah. they're okay with that. So that's kind of the mindset you have to have, like. It's not. It's mm-hmm. not their job to convince you to buy their system if you already have the mindset that you can play their games elsewhere. Because they're the ones putting those games
2: elsewhere. Like they know that. Yeah.
4: Not <laughs> um, too, I'm glad they're doing that at least.
2: The Xbox consoles are being sold at a loss. They they probably prefer that you buy their games on PC because they are not subsidizing that. They don't have to worry about if you buy an Xbox system, but you only buy. Like one or two of their exclusives on there, and that's all you use it for. You don't buy Xbox Live Gold or anything like that. They are losing money off of your purchase of a system. So, especially with this generation where it's clear that both of the systems are putting out are going to be sold at a relatively healthy, like hefty loss.
0: Well, I think both
2: buy it on a PC because, well, they get the same amount of money if you buy a Game Pass or if you buy it through their store. It may be a little bit less if, they buy it, if you buy it through Steam, but still, it, for them, it just makes more sense if you're already playing on PC, why should they force, force you to get an Xbox? Because yeah. that's just an extra cost on their end that they don't need to incur.
0: Well, I think both Sony and Microsoft have kind of uh, this is my this is my interpretation. this This is a little bit of conjecture. I I do think that both of them have kind of realized that there is a population of players on PC that are very inelastic, like especially Sony. Like they have a ton of high, well-regarded exclusives on their system that still wasn't enough to get people convinced to purchase a good sizable number of people convinced to to purchase it. evidenced by the fact that uh, how well Horizon did, even with a port that wasn't really stellar. So basically there's this population of people that it doesn't matter how attractive you make your console. They just don't, they're not interested. It's outside their purview. They they just don't care. So I think that's kind of like Microsoft. I think Sony is there too. Now, at least they've got their foot in the water, but they're like, okay, we'll bring the games to you because it doesn't really matter how well, even if we score a pluses on everything we've done with our console, there's that population of people. that will not come over. Anyways, i'm kind of in that boat too like some people are really 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 concerned that the xbox one s is going to hold back next gen and i think they're those are pretty well founded especially with the ram discussion but i'm the sort of person that if it's a multiplat, i would have probably played it on pc anyways where i'm not held back by what they've done it's more of what my system can do or then like sony ex- uh, you know top tier exclusives aren't affected by that either so they're also kind of outside that realm So I'm I'm kind of sitting here like, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Breathe. Exhale. Anyways, Microsoft. Pre-orders start on the uh, 22nd. And then I guess we have to talk about the other.
2: It's going to be... Interesting to see what Sony prices the PS Five. Assuming we're getting it on Wednesday, because right. So just it would this be morning,
0: they, stupid if they didn't do that. Yeah, so just this morning, Sony announced that there will be a stream on Wednesday in the U.S. afternoon, 1 p.m. Pacific. Basically, we're expecting that this is going to be the final real showcase of. I don't know. I don't know if we're expecting a ton on the software front, or if it's mostly going to be uh,
3: release date, price, pre-order sort of stuff. They've said I, that it's a. Uh games as well it's 40 minutes long and apparently games too so bloodborne 2 a lot of of people are really
0: hoping that uh demon souls remake ends up on launch date because that's been speculated that would be good that would like
4: like, because i'm already getting a ps5 if possible for like miles morales but like demon souls oh my god that's a fucking banger of like a a exclusive i
2: know so it's like it's looking like uh at least from the limited information we have now, and obviously there's gonna be more stuff like detailed and shown off on Wednesday. But even at this point, I I feel like PS5 at least looks like it's going to avoid that classic blunder of the system coming out and not really having a good launch window release or a good catalog of games in the first like six months. It looks like that Sony's been trying their uh, hardest to make sure that's not the case here, which that's good.
3: Insomniac games are like holding that up quite well. Like Miles Morales at launch, hopefully, and then Ratchet and Clank within a few months. Like that's killer. That is enough to buy a PS Five for me. And then that already. That's
2: an add in like potential. Like I don't know. Like where they're aiming for like Gran Turismo to be, but who knows? It's like, and I think Sackboy is going to be your uh, launch too. I'd love that. Also, something that people haven't really talked about. So. That um Astrobots, like, 3D platformer game that they showed off uh, that's during in, the last right? PS5 thing, that's actually a pack-in. So, like, that, it's weird. It's, like, it's pre-installed. Like, you, you don't see that much these days, but it's, like. Yeah, it kind
0: of occupies the same space that Resogun did, but that wasn't a pack-in. It was just a PS Plus 3D. So,
2: kind yeah. of. So, it's, like. That's 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 kind of nice. I don't know how long it's going to be, but if it's even like a couple of hours long, that's just cool.
0: So, yeah, But this time next week, we'll be talking about. Uh, PS5, I am very PS5 curious. PS5 the price is
4: to be. I'm excited for this. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think the last, but uh, you know, the big PlayStation stream where they showed off the box. I thought that was a really good stream. Uh, there wasn't a lot for me there, but like, what there, there was there. Well like the demons souls thing was crazy cool like Ratchet and Clank crazy cool Miles Morales great like that was a really good presentation and yeah. I'm excited for just more stuff.
2: Yeah. I think well I don't know if Sony will change their pricing based off of what Microsoft showed because I feel like just based off the specs alone even though the Xbox is stronger than the PS5 you can't underestimate James, how much that proprietary SSD is going to be. Because it, as of right now, it is still faster than any consumer SSD you can buy. It won't necessarily still be the case by the time the PlayStation 5 hits shelves. Who knows? But one terabyte PCIe Gen 4 SSDs now are still like over $200 for good quality ones. And that's just the SSD. That's not even counting the fact that there's I mean. like it has some technology going into the PlayStation 5's one. I do wonder if before Microsoft showed, like, showed the price and the whole reason like both of them were like holding back on the prices, both of them knew that selling those systems for under $600 was probably going to be a loss. And they didn't want to be the one to set the lower bounds. Because they knew that somebody started off and if one of them said $600, then obviously the other person, the other group could just be $500 and still a loss, that wouldn't be a big deal. But since Microsoft has the Series X for $500 and the Series S for 300 kind of puts Sony in a bit of a precarious situation. Or even though they do have the better launch lineup, obviously, because people... For good reason, understand that the Series X is the stronger system. It would look really bad if Sony priced it above the Series X. So, I like, I think
3: they go five hundred. I think yeah, just I think the same. It, they could Somewhere get some like five
2: hundred.
0: I I think that obviously they could get like headlines and like uh memes probably if they sold it at like four forty nine or whatever. But yeah, I I would also think of it this way where. The people that are invested into sony's ecosystem i don't I don't think a fifty dollar difference is gonna be a tripping point for like it's demand I believe is price inelastic to use like an economics one oh one term where if they're gonna sell i don't know five million this holiday season, I don't know how much these consoles typically do in a holiday season, but like if you can get 50 more dollars per person and just go yeah. with the same price like that's a lot that's a lot of opportunity to cost to give up just to you know stick it to microsoft and, and undercut yeah. them so yeah, i think I, so my guess I, is 4.99 basically i think there
4: at. is a there there is a slight possibility because like i i only started thinking this when like okay so the xbox 1x came out for for uh, for 500 the playstation 4 pro came out for 400 i i'm expecting 500 it could come out for four hundred. I feel I, like if it does come out for nah. four hundred, which again, this is just i'm this is just a guess. I think it's gonna be five hundred, but if it does come out for four hundred, like that's like a that's a huge like a hundred bucks is a big deal.
2: I think the um digital version might be four hundred just because since they know that if you buy the digital edition, you're forced to buy digital copies of games, which they get larger margins off of they might be able to justify eating the cost because the 4K Blu-ray drive isn't going to be anywhere near a hundred bucks. No. But they might be able to justify shaving a hundred bucks off the cost for that one to incentivize people to go digital. So I think 500 for the base PS5 and 400 for the digital version is semi-realistic. I think Facing 350
0: that, and 500, I mean, that's what, that's my guess.
4: 350, huh? I'm thinking 350 and like 400 or 450. But like, that's just like, it's just, I'm I honestly just, I'm not going to complain. Just tell us already. There you go. <laughs> yeah, just tell us already.
2: They literally have no use. Microsoft, Microsoft finally gave it.
4: It got leaked. So they, they had to. But I'm sure they would have held it up for a little bit longer. Yeah. Because we, we all know they're playing their little, like, their pissing contest to see, like, oh, who who's going to do it first? Woo. But yeah. now, like, now that Microsoft has been forced to play their hand, Sony's this is why Sony's like coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if Sony's little presentation video has been ready for like a month. Yeah, I'm
0: just, I, I they're just waiting. Anyways, we will revisit next week to see how close our guesses are and see if there's any big surprises in terms of titles or uh, release dates from Wednesday's showing. And obviously, we'll cover it on the site as it goes up, too. So on specific RPG, uh, even that's not quite true. Uh, we have two Zelda games to talk about. Oh wait, mm-hmm. one of these isn't a Zelda game. I got tricked. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, you can you can be mad at me, but all right. So earlier this week, Ubisoft had one of their UB forward streams. I refused they
2: to up- after they uh, um, refused to. Um, they separated the uh- the apology. The right. They,
0: they, they gave some, ugh, pardon my language, they gave some bullshit, like justification for why they couldn't put it like as part of the video about how this was so difficult to like prepare ahead of time, even though this stuff has been stewing for months now. So they basically uh-huh. kind of tweeted out a little five minute apology slash whatever you want to call it. And then just said, "Now please ignore that and pay attention to our, our game so, showcase. So um, I have
4: a quick question. I did not watch this because, um, heck, Ubisoft... Um, uh, so was this uh conference pre recorded?
2: Yes, yes. Yes. Okay,
4: that's that's bullshit. You can, I, as someone who edits videos, uh, if like I have a pretty good gaming PC that can render stuff pretty well, um, if I had to re render a new video like that, that was like you know, for like let's say it's 40 minutes long, add five minutes to that, it would probably take, I want to say maybe like an hour to render. I don't have Ubisoft PCs, you know, top of the line PCs. Re-rendering it with that video included would take no time at all, or you could just play the video and then play the other
0: pre-recorded video.
2: Question: Was the video? Well, it doesn't matter because the rendering. one. Was it 1080p or was it 4K or? Because the fact
0: that we're even like making that like a qualifier is kind of BS. Give, give no. a high schooler from 10 years ago, windows movie maker and tell them to staple this five minute video to this 40 minute video or whatever
4: and you get it ready that.
0: before
2: this. Sh- like, come on,
0: come on. Like,
4: like, it's, they have top of the line computers that could render that shit like
2: that. Render, Cause if they were streaming it, they literally could have just had it on the queue to. Yeah. As a separate video, just run that video first. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I was
4: saying. Yeah. Like, it's, Instead no of sending how one how off to Twitter this, and one off to Twitch, yeah. Or whatever. Well, like, they also you look at this. It is a it is that that is no that is stupid.
1: They also um well they gave like a response on Twitter basically saying like for time constraints they couldn't fit it in, but like well, then also like during this video, right well, no. But I'm not even talking about technically. Like they like if they just wanted to fit this video into like a certain window of time, like they also included in this stream like this really overproduced. Like Rainbow Six, like World Cup, like promote promotion, like teaser trailer thing with like they had like act shots of like actors driving in cars, like with flags for their like esports teams and all this like overproduced, like hype you up sort of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, you didn't have you didn't have time to 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 do this five, add this five minute apology, but you could certainly fit in this like hype you up teaser like yes. not even game footage at all like like a trailer for like this esports tournament thing like sure yeah okay and
4: they, they said that it was like oh and the VODs were going to like you know add it back in but like you know a lot less people are gonna be watching the VODs than they would have mm-hmm. watched the stream or watch the individual trailers like yes. you no know, you wanted to like ignore it you wanted to brush it away as Quick as you could while still, you know, saying, Well, technically, we did apologize, even if we didn't really fix anything. It's fine, just, it's fine. Scott Pilgrim, look, it's Scott Pilgrim.
0: Look, yeah.
4: guys, we got Scott Pilgrim back.
3: I'm um, sad because, like, that was I've been wanting that for so, so long. Scott Pilgrim to come back. Well, that's one of my favorite films. That is my favorite film of all time. And so I fell for the hype. And then after I was like, Wow, I'm excited. And I'm like, Oh, that was just damage control. I'm yeah. Prince of Persia. God I, damn it. I,
4: I heard something. I, I need to like confirm this, but I hear like the original developers aren't getting any money on the re-release.
1: Like the creator of Scott Pilgrim yeah. said that. Oh, he, yeah, that, cool.
4: So it's confirmed.
1: He actually said he, I don't think he's ever made money on the game.
4: So, um, no. you know, like <laughs> if you want to give Ubisoft some money for something that is probably from what it seems to be like another digital re-release that will still Go away at some point. You can do that. At least it's Appar- on- he,
2: time, so it'll sit. Like people will be able to archive it.
4: Yeah, it's just like it's. I don't know. Also, it runs the like, wrong
3: way. Apparently, a physical release is like possible. Uh, the creator Brian Lee O'Malley was like, he obviously he's not really involved in it, but he's been like one of the biggest supporters, and he said that they were look that physical releases have been looked into. So holding out for that. So my personal mindset is that if
0: you decide to support Ubisoft, uh, like I am not going to hold that against you, but I also don't feel bad spending 10 minutes of shit on what they've done. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, like that's where I'm at. If this gets like, a physical
4: release and it becomes available pre-owned or it's on sale cheap enough, I'll probably grab it. But I am not, like, I'm not,
0: I'm, I'm not buying this. I don't know. By it's... it, we mean either Prince of Persia or Scott Pilgrim or Zelda, not Zelda. <sighs>
4: I feel really bad. Well, no, I don't feel bad. Uh, I was just trying to be facetious, but uh, it's it sucks that Immortals: Phoenix Rising is uh, going to be absolutely obliterated about by the game that's coming out the next day. You know,
3: Dragon Dragon Quest Eleven. It's sad. It's sad because as someone, it, it reminds me of the Harry Potter situation. Someone who. I am really looking forward to a lot of stuff that a lot of the games that Ubisoft have. I love a lot of their back catalog, like Rayman. I want a new Splinter Cell. Like I have always been a big fan of Ubisoft. And now whenever any game comes out, you kind of have that moment of like, can I buy this? Like, can I be vocally excited about it? And it just sucks that it has to continue. Like Scott Pilgrim means so much to me. And like, I've really wanted this and now I'm just like, uh, and the shitty sad. thing
0: is, is that if they had done everything properly and they like sincerely put this apology at the start and at the end, and then you could actually say, like, okay, they're doing something, I can feel better about this. But then they, now it's just like the opposite, where they're like, nope, you can see they're deliberately trying to sidestep this.
4: Yeah. And like, Da-da-da. if you remember, like, um, fucking uh, Brian Lee O'Malley about a month ago when all this like Ubisoft stuff came out, like, when all the uh, you know all the reports started going out, like, all of the sudden, he tweets out, like, oh, I'm in contact with Ubisoft or whatever. Like, just out of nowhere. It just, it seems like they've had the ability to do this for a long time. And, like, they just, they just waited for a controversy.
3: He, I I won't go on and on about it, because I have, like, read a few articles, but he said that apparently it's been in the works for a while, and that they were supposed, to tell him, but they didn't. And then oh, when he okay. tweeted about it, they thought he was being cheeky. They're like, ha ah, ha he knows. So he knows it soon. And then he was like, no, I really don't know. Like, you can tell me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a mess. It, it is. Anyways. A mess. Uh,
0: so the well, game that a they. Good game. Well, we don't know if this is a good game, but I, I at least want to give out the details. So uh, previously known as Gods and Monsters, and then like announced ahead of time, but like re revealed in the stream. Was Immortals: Phoenix Rising, which is releasing on December third for PlayStation 4, Xbox Series, and Xbox One. (laughs) Oh boy! Nintendo Switch, PC through the Epic Game Store, and Ubisoft, including the UB Play or U Play subscription. And then they showed off some uh, gameplay footage, and I did not like. I had seen the comparison like images and screen caps since this was shown about how it's very uh, Zelda in Zelda faithful, Zelda copycat. It uh, depends on how what, what connotation you want to spin to it. Like, how do I state this properly? Okay, so this
1: game Thank is an open-world game set in a Greek mythological universe. It's got this sort of, like, cartoony-stylized art style, so it's not, like, realistic. Um, and you play as a demigod named Phoenix, who I think can be, like, either gender, but they showed a female Phoenix. And you go around the world solving puzzles, opening chests collecting items to upgrade your arsenal. You have like a bow, you have wings, you have gloves that can like grab things from a distance, like as like a magnet sort of deal. And yes, there are many elements to this that look very much inspired by breath of the wild. And I don't just That's mean like, where I, was I, I, I don't, I don't, to. I don't mean just like broad things like it's an open world, but it shows like it showed Phoenix climbing up to a top of the tower, going into first person, to look at the distance marking a a spot on the map to like, this is an interesting thing to go towards that creates like a marker and then like jumping off the tower and using a glider, I mean wings to kind of go in that (laughs) direction. Um, And then like there's a part where like pick up the coal and put it into the furnace and it's like literally like picking up the coal like Phoenix equipped these gloves and it's like a magnet like with this yellow line that connects this thing this boulder of coal that she's picking up to her gloves and it looked like that I forget what it was called in Breath of the Wild, but that same sort of thing there where you can toss it wherever you want. Um, there's parts where like there's parts in the trailer where it shows uh, Phoenix climbing up walls. I don't know if you can actually do that in the game, but it looked very much like. yeah. So yeah uh, in
0: b- the before, this, before this podcast, I hadn't actually watched this trailer start or the gameplay footage start to end. And I just clicked that as a random spot in the center of the YouTube like timeline. And I got, like, basically the image that is the con- the big concept art from Breath of the Wild that shows Link climbing up the cliff face on the right side of the image with, like, Hyrule in the backdrop, only it's this game. <laughs> so I have two thoughts on this. Like, one, I am okay with, in principle, of there being more, quote-unquote, Zelda-likes. I kind of feel like that's kind of a well that has been oddly untapped for decades. There's been, like, Azuric on the original Xbox and, like, Darksiders. But there's not a lot of games that really play, like, zelda games i feel like um so the fact that this is kind of in that well and then kina game for like recently got delayed is kind of also looks like a zelda like um isn't that well like i'm, I'm on board with that because i love that style of game it's kind of like a action adventure puzzle-y with some lock and key sort of elements but then i look at this and i'm like maybe they went down that road a little too far like it is Like, you couldn't have, like, implemented the same idea in a slightly different way. You could have... I don't know.
1: Especially when it's, like, like an in-engine cutscene, like you say, where it shows Phoenix climbing up the wall. Like, it's literally, like, the same camera angle. Like, you, you could just even... You could have a character climbing up a wall. Like, there's nothing unique about that. But you framed it in the exact same way as the classic Zelda
0: Breath of the Wild that, that, like key art like you framed like, ha- it the have, same ha- like, have climbing mechanics have magnet glove mechanics sure but like to actually copy like exactly how it visually appears as well on top of that like at that point you're not really just borrowing the idea you're just kind of like borrowing the whole thing <laughs> like you're putting your sticker on it and be like i made
3: this <laughs> like god, i don't know <sighs> to go beyond like the compar- the like they are is super it's not blatant because no it is blatant i'm, I'm not sure oh yeah, it it is is sort of my god blatant.
4: Yeah, so I, I, I'm i watching, like, gameplay footage of this, and seeing her, like, pick up the block with, like, you know, the magic bullshit. It's like, oh my god, yeah. this
3: is so blatant.
1: Yeah, that's what I was talking about. It's like these gloves that you get, yeah. it's like, wow. But,
3: I will say this. If you're going to copy any game, then, like, the smartest kid in the class, Breath of the Wild, is probably the best person to copy the homework off. And, like, I, I am on board with this. So I think it looks cool. Uh, I do
1: think the one thing that looks probably considerably different is, like, the combat is a little bit, seems a little bit more involved. Um, Breath of, the Breath of the Wild's combat was pretty basic. It sort of had, like, you know, you had, like, a vertical swing and a horizontal swing and, like, a dodge. I'm talking about, like, the sword stuff. Um, but it was pretty, like, stamina, kind of a basic stamina combat system, where this one's, like, you can do, like, these combination attacks. It's, it showed, like, where you can fly around a little bit and do some various attacks. So it seems like maybe that's a little bit different, but you know, it didn't show a ton of that. So it's hard to say for
0: sure. And even like his running gait or her running gait is similar to Link. I feel like it's I'm not, and also like, I'm, not, I'm not immediately going to say like this game is doomed to be terrible because it's no, t- but it looks to, it looks like, like a I feel like Breath of the Wild. Right. I I feel like it was not necessary. Like, they could have borrowed those ideas. Like, you can climb up shit. That's fine. But I just don't think (laughs) you gain a whole lot by following it so to the letter.
4: Yeah. I agree. It looks a bit like like classic God of War, even. A little bit. Mm -hmm. I I think... how it's all, you know, structured.
3: Like, the setting... They're putting a lot more emphasis on humor and characters and, like, your own custom character. I, I like that. Like... I I don't know I I have like famously said before or well, not famously but I've said before that Breath of the Wild is one of my favorite games and yeah it's kind of like it's obvious but I don't really have too much of a problem with it like as long as it does a few different things and it's set in an interesting world I think it's it could be cool yeah so, just, it's, just, it's go
0: ahead Colin. Oh,
4: I, I was I was going to be a little cheeky. I was like, well, since you're a, a big fan of Breath of the Wild, what do you think
0: about this next story? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, uh,
3: yes. good. Anyways,
0: one, one, one final thought on this is that I do think it looks good. I know I just kind of shat on it for looking like another game, but I'm all on board with more Zelda likes, period. This game looks like it's well-made, even if it is a little bit unoriginal. That's kind of my final thought. Yeah. i All right, so... We learned that we're getting uh a sequel to Breath of the Wild. That was announced a couple of years ago. We also learned <laughs> We also learned that we are getting a surprise prequel to Breath of the Wild earlier this week. So Hyrule Warriors, yes, it is a Warriors title or Muzo if you use that name. Age of Calamity was announced just kind of out of nowhere from Nintendo. No direct, no, no hype or build-up. Launching on a t- November Switch on it's launching in november, november. <laughs> the november slide. i'm excited uh, we, the, the, i blame colin for making us take this long on this podcast I'm it's okay. launching on november 20th for nintendo switch this is a koei Techmo product that obviously has worked really closely with the zelda team uh, and they gave a, a cool little very honest very very genuine kind of preview to say this is what we wanted to do we thought we had a cool space here where we could talk about the events that happened prior to the Breath of the main events of Breath of the Wild a hundred years ago with the champions and with Link and Zelda. Uh and we're gonna put it in the framework of Hyrule Warriors as a kind of a follow-up to that that a rat game that came out a few years ago for DS and Switch and Wii U. So this is a Hyrule Warriors game that is a prequel to Breath of the Wild. So I think it's kind of a really cool idea because it allows them to play as the different champions, as Link, as Zelda, as potentially other characters. Baby um, Guardian. Can I yeah. um can
4: I say that, like, calling it, like... Because, I mean, that's what it is. But, like, just saying it's like, oh, it's another Hyrule Warriors game, but it's, like, Breath of the Wild. That doesn't do it justice. Like, all, like seeing the actual trailer... Because, like, when, when it got announced and I just saw, like, the image, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then, like, watching the trailer, this is such a huge step up from both, like, Hyrule Warriors and, I think, like, what... Like, general Musou spinoff games that I've ever seen. Like, this is like it looks like it ru- it's running in the breath of the wild engine somehow
0: yeah like, it looks the great visuals visually.
4: look amazing this is the perfect story to do this in because this does not like this does not ruin or mess with the ending of breath of the wild if you really like the minimalist storytelling of breath of the wild like i do this doesn't like this is the perfect thing to do to like give us exactly what a lot of people wanted which is more of like that you know the past of breath of the wild and it looks like breath of the wild is perfect for like a muso spinoff like an open world ish like game with a lot of like cool different enemies hopefully there's some like sneaking around there's a lot of stuff you can do with all of the different tools like you know the bombs stuff like that and uh as someone who imported persona 5 scramble earlier in this year oh my god this looks amazing like this looks better than ps4
3: scramble looks I actually, at first, I was like, I don't, I really didn't like Hyrule Warriors that much. Oh, I, I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Then I watched the trailer and I was like, you know what? Like, uh, I'm down. I'll give it another go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah,
1: I, I kind of have a similar hesitation. I played Hyrule Warriors at my brother's house a while back. And I was kind of bored just by the overall structure of it. We were doing some of the co-op stuff. And, like, it was kind of, it was kind of like... All right, in this mission, all right, you get like a notification. Go to this section of the map and fight off some of the enemies. Like, okay, we'll run over there and fight enemies. You know, you do some flashy stuff, but you're mostly just mowing down hundreds and thousands of goblins. Yeah. All right, now go to this section of the map and fight down fight enemies there for a bit. Like, okay, we'll run over there and fight enemies there for a bit. Now go to this section of the map and help Zelda out and fight enemies there. Like, oh, okay, I'll run over there and fight enemies there. And it's just kind of like after a while, it's just kind of like this is kind of just tedious. And it so suffers this from being better. The, the this new version looks better, but I still just have that hesitation. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I completely Hi- agree.
4: Higher Warriors suffers, I, in my opinion. Sorry, right. sorry. Go ahead. It suffers from being too much of a warriors game with a Zelda coat of paint and not a like a meat in the middle, which is where I think the good warrior spinoffs
2: land. Here's a question: How much did you play of the adventure mode, where it's like the map that you go through and has like different missions on it
4: i i played i couldn't even like i didn't get that far because i tried playing the story mode and i was bored to tears the best I'm part sure. about War, the,
2: same. the adventure mode where you have the maps and all the different missions that have their own unique little spins on things that's really cool it's the best part of it as far as the like moment to moment gameplay i feel like Fire Emblem Warriors was actually considerably better because yeah, I feel agree. a better like me- mesh between the Fire Emblem like um, Trinity system and like also like it felt like a Fire Emblem game and a musou game, whereas Hyrule Warriors felt like a musou game with a Zelda coat of paint.
4: And same thing with Scramble. Like I-, I think Scramble visually does not look that good you know and i've i've i bought that game on ps4 and switch so i've looked at both versions the visuals of that took a huge like fucking dip because i i i don't know what engine they used but on ps4 i'd say that like ps4 pro version of that game is like there's no anti aliasing and it looks awful um and it's noticeably awful but the gameplay is that perfect mishmash of like both styles it's both of them at once and this looks this looks like that it looks like It's like Breath of the Wild and, um, you know, and Warriors actually combined. And, you know, like Fire Emblem Warriors, like, you know, all those like games like that bring both of them together. That's when you get a good Warriors spinoff. I know
0: this is um, from my outside perspective as someone who's not played a single Warriors game ever, is that this might be a little bit incorrect, but this is my mindset being on the outside looking in. But when I look at Fire Emblem Warriors and Hyrule Warriors, I'm like, these are just fan service games. You just play a series of characters and you just kind of enjoy familiar settings and you kind of hear these callbacks and references and that's where the enjoyment is. That's where correct. Age of Calamity, it seems like it's a little bit more tethered where it's like, these are the events that happened before this other game you played. And I do think that in general, canon, quote unquote, is a little bit overvalued but I do think that knowing that there is a through line from one to the next and this isn't just a a referential game kind of elevates it in my mind like you know what i this is actually more interesting like just in principle, that's oh, yeah. where I'm coming from
4: no I, I completely agree with you, and that's i like that's why I bring up the scramble comparison so much it's like it's very weird to think about like Koei tech when did they have time to make this It's like like when did you guys like Koei techmo makes so many games and like it looks like this probably started development around the same time Scramble was either like in development or wrapping up, and it's like
0: Koei on—they're on a roll lately. And didn't they like, didn't the, on the, by all accounts they did the lion's share of the lifting on Fire Emblem? Like you, yeah, like yeah. On, their yeah. partnership with Nintendo has been yeah. really good, and, seemingly.
2: I mentioned it during the Game Gear cast last year, but they have been silently one of the most impressive uh, studios for output, because, like, obviously Gust Under them released three freaking Atelier games last year. What the hell? They... are
4: making, like, Reza 2. Yeah.
2: Well, here's the thing. Fairytale. Um, Koei Tecmo, they it's were cool. the ones that developed Dragon Quest Builders 2. That was one of the games on our Game to Year list last year. They did the majority of the work on Fire Emblem. That was another one of the games last year. It... They've been silently just being like, even though not all the game like, if you just look at the games that they publish, it doesn't look that impressive. If you're looking at the stuff that they both publish and the stuff that they're developing, they honestly might have the most impressive output of any of the Japanese studios right now.
1: There's also like Neo, too, yeah, that just came out, yeah, like not long ago
4: like what, what like, like I think for a while Koei Tecmo has been kind like like back like before this current era where everything they're putting out slaps like they 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 had a lot of eh, hit or misses i mean i don't think fairy is that good but like it's still like like they they're, they're making so many games and then you look at something like like it, especially atelier right now like riza 2 looks like such a huge st- leap forward for the series and riza 1 was already that so it's like where, and then they they were also working on this at the same time, and they said like, oh yeah, we've been in talks with like you know the Zelda team to make this as faithful as possible, and it's like I I can't imagine not being excited for this game. It looks so good.
2: Yeah, man. Now I'm just excited for a potential Fire Emblem Warriors two that might just be, like, God. Three
4: houses spin I'd be okay that.
2: honestly, honest to God. The only problem that I had with Fire Emblem Warriors was the character variety in the sense that there wasn't... Uh Like, pretty much all of the Axe users were just also mounted units, which was annoying. And uh, pretty much all of the Spear users were just mounted units. Like, if... They were to release a follow-up that maybe had a bit more of a spectrum of the series history, as well as having stuff from, like, Three Houses and whatnot. If they had that, they increased the variety of the movesets that the characters had, and, like, the designs of the characters, and they kept... Even if they didn't do any changes to the gameplay, if it was the same gameplay as the first one, they just had more maps, better character variety, better fan service throughout the series history, that would actually be my perfect Warriors game.
4: I think um, I think one thing that, like, we don't know that much about this game, but we're probably going to learn about it in, like, 12 days, is um, one thing that seems to be, that has me even more excited, is that it's focusing on a smaller cast, and I think that Muso games that focus on smaller casts, tend to have like the characters still grow and change like moveset wise as the game goes on. Like again, to bring up Scramble again, Scramble has a small cast and a lot of people were mad that Scramble did that instead of just having a bunch of characters. But by at the end of that game, your characters are still learning new stuff and they're changing up how they play. And well, let me
1: just think about this. How many characters did the original Hyrule Warriors have? It had a lot. Oh, It was a lot. and this, amount. So, so this game has link and zelda the four champions so that's six um and then i know some people have that have hypothesized like the key art shows like a baby guardian like what is that baby guardian doing is that playable i don't know yeah. <laughs> but like we have six for sure characters and like who else would they add i don't know <laughs> what
4: like, Breath of the Wild, there's not much more you can add. And I yeah it might be fine to, like, have an optional mode where, like, maybe you add a couple more. But if it was just this six characters and all the characters had, like, you know, fleshed-out movesets, I would be mm-hmm. completely okay with that because it looks like all of them play uniquely. Like, there's no overlap with any of the characters there and how they play.
2: Well, I mean, I feel like we could probably say that Impa might be playable too, so that might be. Oh sick. yeah,
1: I think I think actually they they like the trailer shows a very quick glimpse of Impa who looks like uh, her granddaughter, whoever it was. I forget her name. Pala, Pama, what's her name? I forget her name, like, but yeah, it's I'm like a young. <laughs> she it shows she it shows her kneeling with Link at one point. What's that girl's name? I forget the one who has a crush on Link, which is like four different girls, but whatever.
0: Which is everybody in the game. Yeah, and all uh, the guys, uh, everybody. Well, I was saying everybody. they might do they might do some like shenanigans to allow like both generations of champions, like Mifa and Zedon, or uh, that'd be cool.
3: Hyrule uh, warriors. Zedon is I the best. A
2: uh, kind of twist maybe. where, like, halfway through the story, you got to play as the villains. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something similar here. Maybe not with villains, but maybe there will be like a post time skip thing or something. I don't know.
0: Unfortunately, I think one's one weakness of t- Breath of the Wild as a setting, is that it's just different variations of Ganondorf, like in different like kind of puppet like, the different like calamity versions of him. Like, not exactly like good characters. They're okay boss fights, just not good characters. But what if you could play as a Lionel? That'd be cool.
2: Some people like, um, hypothesize since this is canon to the Breath of the Wild story, and Breath of the Wild 2's in development, we might get a bit of a hint at what the uh, story is heading for that game and this
3: one for yeah, that... I say that's a that'd be a cool move
4: I'm like I'm watching this trailer again, and I've watched it a billion times. I just I can't stress enough, like this game, like visually, the resolution looks great, the character models look great, like and it seems like it's running fine like this there is was like
1: one in the trailer where it shows Zelda doing like these magic chain attacks where like it seems like the frame rate tank for some oh, reason yeah it's but like but hopefully. Like... It that up,
4: <laughs> but like for what it is, like the like oh, it looks like I'm Good. just like because usually Muso games don't look the best because the you know the focus is on like you know get as much shit yeah. in as possible. But this like I'm I'm impressed with how this game like visually holds up, and like the cutscenes don't seem like you know held back at all it it looks like a actual breath of the wild game and i'm glad that they put like it's not out yet so we don't know but i'm glad they're like putting the effort into making it look like it fits right into breath of the wild yeah some and of the cutscenes like,
0: like if you view them in a vacuum you'd be like is this from the sequel game oh wait no this is yeah. from the, the warriors prequel game <laughs> or
4: something and like, like, like that i'm I'm holding out because, like, there are some there are some Muso games that have open world ish settings, like Dragon uh, Dragon Quest Heroes, like Heroes Two, is like you know open world areas where you get to explore big spaces. Like, if this game is able to do that, like if it's just fun, you know, oh fun Muso hack and slash and missions, that's fine. But if it's able to go above and beyond and have like some cool open world elements to that, all oh, this is gonna be one of my favorite games this year.
2: Yeah, I just find it amusing that like. Even, like, three months ago... Well, when did they announce... um, uh, When did they announce uh, Paper Mario? It was in May, wasn't it? It's like, May or June, yeah. So, like, three or four months ago, we were assuming that Nintendo's year was going to be, like, just empty. It was just going to be Xenoblade and Animal Crossing, and that was basically it. But then, like, quietly, just out of nowhere, we got... Paper mario you got pikmin 3 deluxe we've got the 3d mario collection we've got um this it's just like out of nowhere suddenly um 2020 went from a super slow nintendo year to yeah there was like a dry spot like after xenoblade for a little bit but suddenly it's just like oh this is actually a pretty decent year for yeah nintendo. and,
0: and yeah, not the hottest year ever but you know pretty good that's that's a that's I'll... a nice list of games
2: you just rattled off
4: because i just assume that like because like do you guys know Animal Crossing sold like so much? Like that made them. Yeah, so I think much I, th- money. I think it
0: sold like a billion copies. I think that's give or take. like
4: like I like if they were gonna not like you know just trickle out games for the rest of the year, I would be fine with that because that means they're developing stuff for 2021 so, and sure. not COVID. But like
2: Certainly Animal Crossing. Like if you separate the different Pokemon skews into like different sales data, I think. It's gotten to the point where Animal Crossing is the single highest-selling game in, J- in Japan history. Wow.
1: Which- well, I'm looking at Nintendo's IR site for top-selling Nintendo Switch games. The top is Mario Kart 8 still, Deluxe, at $26, million,
2: 26
1: um, well This is updated whatever the last quarter was, as of June 30th, so yeah, just a couple months ago. Animal so- Crossing Horizons is the second-best Switch selling game at $22.4 million. And that, that puts it on top of Super Smash Bros., The Legend of Zelda, the combined sales of Pokemon Sword and Shield, Mario Odyssey, etc.
2: So, yeah, it's the second best-selling Switch game. For 20 million copies. Holy shit.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, like, more than double. Like, the, the, the last game sold, like, I don't know, just a few million. Which is still, like, fine, but... Yeah, game it's, sold this, like, this
2: is, it's, it's sold over 10 million. This is just but, a footnote,
0: uh, but uh, just because we rattled it off earlier, like Pokemon Sword Shield DLC two is also supposed to still be this year at
2: some point. Oh, yeah, that's I true. I completely forgot. I'm excited for it because the first DLC was like surprisingly good. So yeah, yeah. So now we got a for- uh, good
0: year for good year for Zelda games and oh, Zelda yeah. games. <laughs> Oh, this the, I I keep rewatching
4: the tar- trailer again. It looks so good.
2: Yeah, so it's like it seems like it's been a good year for Nintendo, a good year for Sony, because they've had a decent slot of games. Like like the PS4 had Neo two, it had Ghost of Tsushima, it had The Last of Us Two. Uh I think there's another game I'm forgetting uh, that came out on PS4 this year and it was a big one. Oh, P five R. Yeah, P five R happened. That
0: was a thing. Even, <laughs> Mi- even Microsoft, you can say, had yeah, uh, grounded too and, too. Fl- and, and Grounded in Flight Simulator. So not yeah, maybe but, not on quite the, the same level, but they had a solid year, too.
2: Yeah, like, it, year. like 2020 hasn't been a fantastic year for games, I'd say, but if you or add all to it, it reasons. like it's been a actually surprisingly decent year. It just was a slow burn, I guess, because as everything else has been literally, literally. literally burning outside, haven't even really noticed until like you look back and it's like, you know what? This actually has been a good year for games. Literally,
0: literally on fire and literally on fire. Ugh God. All right. Anyways, that kind of covers it for this podcast. So we didn't have a lot of topics, but we got a lot of cool discussions about a lot of different things about consoles, about Dragon Quest, about Zelda, about Ubisoft.
2: Even though that was uh, a little
0: bit <laughs> for different reasons. But
2: we're probably gonna have a lot to talk about next week with uh uh, I I guess just slot this in here at the end now. Uh, Last week, I was talking about how I didn't think it was worth waiting for the next AMD GPUs. When we were talking about like Ampere and whatnot, like the RTX 3000 series, AMD did one of their classic marketing wonders and... One of their like PR people like teased like with song Eric saying that they were going to have an announcement tomorrow, and then the announcement they had was an announcement for an announcement date for Zen three CPUs and RDNA two GPUs, and it's like, what the hell are they doing? What the hell are they doing? So RDNA two, they're going to detail a month after the NVIDIA cards come out. And they don't give people any reason whatsoever to wait, besides just saying, "Dude, trust me." God.
4: Oh, um, I guess one. I, I don't. No, it, it might be worth mentioning, just because you know we are RPG site. But have you guys been seeing how like Sakurai and the like Pokemon Twitter and other like stuff have been hinting that Sorrow's coming to Smash?
0: I saw a lot uh... about that. I thought that was oh, George. How do you feel? About what? That? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like Okay, so
1: the Pokemon Twitter referenced uh simple uh, and clean.
4: Yeah, simple and clean. And then soccer, I tweeted out a picture of cloud underwater with like the bubbles <laughs> coming out and everything. <laughs> oh of... <No, laughs> Jesus! Yeah, no, it's crazy how under the radar this kind of is. When like if it's a soccer doing that, you could like, just take it as whatever. If, on Nintendo
2: consoles. Oh
3: yeah. my God!
4: I
2: would
3: yeah, cry. cry?
2: Why would Pokemon Twitter
1: like have anything to do with Smash though? I don't know. But, it's like,
4: but it's like, why would they do that? Like, right around the same time, like it's it's it could be nothing, but like, I, I think that that's that coincidence is a bit too close. That's why it, it ends up know, being nothing. i, think, like, I feet feet coming for you, comment. I will hurt you. <laughs> why, you hurt fucking Sakura? I didn't do it. Don't <laughs> actually hurt Sakurai.
2: <laughs> literally said, like literally tweeted. When you walk away, you don't hear me say they yeah, literally,
3: literally tweeted it like i saw that and i was just like <laughs> because like i saw it.
2: that in a
4: bubble and i was like that's weird whatever and then i moved like moved on and then i found the soccer i tweet and i'm like wait hold on like it's like i feel like like some, you can't not like uh, that is iconic
3: a dream in
4: gaming like that would be the best I'm getting anyway,
3: emotional I, thinking about it. Like, genuinely, yeah, but, my eyes are a bit like, oh my God, that's so Yeah, cool.
4: no, like, I, that's why I didn't want to, like, because it's just, like, rumor. So I, right, I didn't want to spend know, too much time on it. it but, but, like,
3: you got the, because uh,
2: there is the second um, season pack for character DLC in Smash. And, like, Min Min came out a couple of months ago. Like, it is. the time where, like, a new yeah, character is probably going to drop soon. Like, a reveal soon. So it's, like, it. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it's oh, like, yeah. why else? It's, it, it, it it, it's weird. It's, I feel
4: like around TGS we might learn more about it. Yeah. Uh, it's the perfect time because, again, Sora's coming back actually, to a Nintendo system.
2: Actually, no. It would be great if it was Kyrie to have the cross synergy with Melody of uh, Memories because... Oh, oh, if it was Kyrie, Kyrie be Oh, people would
4: get
3: so mad. I would love that. Oh, that'd be great. Imagine if it was like... Like Mickey Mouse, but like oh, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts no, version. That's the word. I would love that. That'd be so
4: cool. <laughs> no, fuck that warlock. Think... Get him out of here. I think
2: Disney.
3: Like, yeah, the I
2: think House Disney. House. Sorry, Adam. What were you saying?
1: I don't think Disney would allow Mickey Mouse at all, and I think probably getting through Disney is probably would probably be the barrier to getting Sora in anyway. But
4: well, yeah, because they own Kingdom Hearts, so
2: yeah.
4: Um, but like I just. I think there's a lot of fun stuff you could do with Sora. And like the. <laughs> I don't again, think
2: it would even uh, necessarily be a barrier because Disney Soon had a freaking hardware bundle on the Switch.
1: Okay. You know, you know, this kind of reminds me of this kind of weird. I forget exactly the details, but World of Final Fantasy, like Sora showed up in that in some yeah. form. I forget how. In the PS4, but now,
2: the PS4 version. You know now he's not
1: version. available anywhere. Like you cannot get him now.
2: That's because he was a pre order bonus and it was a pack in DLC code. It was the only way you could get him. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually went out and uh, when I bought my copy of uh, World of Final Fantasy on Vita, they had, like, when I bought it at GameStop, like, they had the case right there. And somebody, uh, somehow, even though the slip was in there, some smart me asshole didn't take a picture of the code and redeem it, because people do that all the time at GameStop. It sucks. I was lucky enough they didn't do that, and I was able to get the, uh, get them that way, though I still haven't played World of Final Fantasy. Probably should. I should probably eventually play a Final Fantasy game that isn't
4: 14. I, I love like the Vita version of World of Final Fantasy because like, the, the voices weren't really included, and you had to download them, and if you didn't download them, there was a possibility that it would break the cutscenes in the game. Huh. Because like I got it on launch because I love uh, you know I wanted to play it on Vita and I wasn't able to download like the voices right away and my cutscenes were fucking broken. It's so funny.
2: <laughs> Anyways, yeah, should be uh should be a lot to talk about. There's this stuff week. coming out in the next two weeks. <laughs> and, uh, week after because like TGS will we'll be right in the middle of TGS uh two weeks from now when we're doing the podcast. Like we might actually want to delay it maybe sunday and that being the case just so we can catch all the stuff in one umbrella and like next week there's the ps5 stuff and who who knows what else we'll hear about definitely uh if this was a slow week and we managed to get almost three hours out of that i was gonna say
4: when i when i was like thinking about coming on to gush about dragon quest uh you know it was said like oh this week should be shorter (laughs) and i'm like not if i'm here
0: yeah that's Remember I talked about, about Emler
1: like two and a half hours ago?
2: If you've made yeah. it to
0: the end, uh, you have my appreciation, nameless
2: listener. We have to stop somewhere. We've gone on far enough.
0: <laughs> all right, so uh, we have all those five reviews that we got off earlier up on the website. We've got the Star Renegades video up on the YouTube. We'll probably have a YouTube video up this week, even though we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not. Uh, you can uh, read up all the news about all the things we talked about on our website, rpgsite.net. There's a link at the top of the website where you can go to our Discord. Uh, follow us on Twitter at rpgsite, Facebook rpgsite.net, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Did I miss anything? no we'll be here next week uh, for the TetraCast, as we have seemingly been every week. So until then, take care. Later, Bye. everyone. Bye, Bye everyone.